This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast from AllComic.com, episode 156. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I am Colton. And I'm Lom Ramiyasha. And today, we are going to take the bull by the horns, or rather in this case, we're taking the horse by the reins, because we are racing into our discussion of Hiromu Arakawa's farm school life manga, Silver Spoon. And you can bet the farm that we really love this series, and we have a lot to say about it. And we had on some great guests to share our love of the series wit. And those guests being Kelly from One Panel Later, as well as Buggy from the Ladybug Productions Podcast Network. Yeah, we are glad to have them on the show again to talk about the series, a series we all really love, go over its themes and messages about life and the characters and how much we adore them and their character arcs. It's a really great conversation, and we just have so much to gush about, and I'm really happy that we were able to finally get around the series just in time for its 10th anniversary. Yeah, yeah, this, you know, what can I say that you haven't already? Like, this was a good discussion. And uh, I really enjoyed talking about Silver Spoon and finally getting to finish it after all these years. Uh, so that that was nice. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think we really have anything to talk about at the top of the show this time. So I don't think we should waste any more time. I think we should. Uh, I think we should finally. I don't know. Get to farming. Far- farming yeah. our love for Silver Spoon. I don't know. Yeah, let's not be chicken, don't have a cow, let's go rot and rot in into our civil soon discussion and make hay while the sun shines. You don't need alchemy to create an interesting manga, and Hiromu Arakawa's hands even among about farming. You can bet the farm is going to be plenty interesting. Arakawa really brings home the bacon of interesting manga. (laughs) (laughs) This manga is some good food. It's got a lot of beefy themes. You could say this manga is so good, you'll squeal for more, like a pig. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Old Mick Arakawa had a farm manga, E I E I O. 
She did have a farm. And that's mm-hmm. part of where this series comes from. That's why right, we are talking about Hiromu Arakawa's farming school life manga Silver Spoon. Started in Weekly Shonen Sunday in 2011, ended in November 2019. It had quite a long serialization period for a manga that is relatively short at 15 volumes. But there's a lot to love about the series. And we're really excited to talk about it with some really wonderful, lovely people. Returning to the show after a good while, we've got Buggy. Hi. And we've got Kelly. Hello, good to be back. Good to have you guys back. I think we all really love this series, so I'm really excited to talk about it. And yeah, I think this is a good time to talk about it as the series is approaching its 10th anniversary. In April. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay, now I feel old. <laughs> no, no, it started like that. <laughs> I remember when the last chapter of Full Metal Alchemist came out. <laughs> I mean, this the final volume only was released in English last September. So it's quite crazy to think, like, how long it took for the series to be licensed by Yen Press and published over here, and then for a series to end Japan and for us to get the full thing. So it's been quite a decade for the series. Uh, but by the end of the series, we almost got the final volume before they did. <laughs> Is that really? Yeah, yeah. They had to reschedule it for later because the final volume of the series in Japan was delayed. Originally, I believe it was going to come out in February of 20 no it did come out in february 2020 but i think that yen was planning to release it in like april no june of 2020 but then they had to delay it three months to september Mm. so yeah i mean just kind of down to the wire them kind of being able to release the final in the same year within the same couple of months of the final volume when it came out in japan yeah, I remember when this series... It took a long time for this series to get licensed, right? Like, is my memory yeah. wrong? Like, I, yeah. I feel like I watched the anime before the series was licensed. No, oh, yeah, I, the I anime so. came out in summer of 2013. And Yen didn't start releasing the manga until about February 2018. It is really bizarre to me that it took so long for a series by Hiromu Arakawa, author of Full Metal Alchemist, to be licensed... But I think that goes to show how conservative Viz Media it was about approaching a series like this, even though Full Metal Alchemist, I'm sure, is one of their best sellers. I guess they thought a slice of light manga set in a farm school was too big of a bet, even though the anime had huge reception. So I'm glad that Yen Press eventually did take a chance on it, and they kept it at a steady every two-month schedule until basically they caught up and finished it so i'm very grateful for them yeah for i can't i can see how it was a hard sell <laughs> to a a licensor because it's like oh like the biggest like fantasy action manga like what's her next project it's like what's it's like jk rowling right it's like what's she gonna do after harry potter and then it was like oh a farm manga what (laughs) i think everyone was really like thrown for a loop like i remember being surprised when i saw that her i was like what's her next manga gonna be and then i was like it's about farms like what (laughs) boring well and obviously it's like great because she is great but i can (laughs) see why people initially were like wait what 
Yeah. I mean, again, I, I do think that it was just like conservative. Being, mm, this this series have like niche appeal compared to something like Full Metal Alchemist, which is like this kind of sweeping, exciting battle shonen title. But I mean, I think if you are a fan of FMA and our Kawa's sense of humor and in general, her character writing and storytelling, you will fall in love with Silver Spoon as, you know, I was an FMA fan before reading Silver Spoon. I do it as well. And I think that Silver Spoon resonates even more with me and I, I like it even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I agree. And also, because I feel like it's like two pieces. It's like one, she's just like, a really good writer in like the mm. same way that a lot of sports manga are like not about like the sport like you don't have to like love badminton you know yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like about the characters it's like you can like not be that hot on cows and like still really like silver spoon i mean i guess i guess we can kind of start this off if we want to by maybe talking about like you know when we first kind of like came across silver spoon maybe like our first impressions of like when we first read it yeah yeah Mm-hmm. Lum, you were kind of starting off. Uh, if you just want to go ahead and talk a little bit, I got into Silver Spoons through the anime. I didn't catch the first season when it came out, but when the second season was starting up in the beginning of 2014, that's when I finally caught up. Like basically the night before the first episode of the second season aired, I just binged through the entire first season and was in love with it just from start to finish and then i followed the second season as it aired week to week and you know was really compelled by the story in that season of putting on the azoeg fest and then everything that happens with the fallout and with pomaba and the entire resolution of it all and then from there of course i eagerly went into the manga and yes i did read the the scans at the time and i followed those for a few years, obviously, Arakawa had started in 2014 taking her hiatuses. So, like, by the time I gave up scans a few years later, the series hadn't finished, of course. But I followed, basically, material that spanned from the early 90s of chapters to, I think, the late 110s or mid-110s. There was material in the later half of 14 is when I think I started getting to the material I hadn't read before in my reread of this. But yeah, I love Silver Spoon as a series. It was one of my favorite manga I was keeping up with at the time. Pretty much neck and neck with Princess Jellyfish as my then favorite currently running manga. And what resonates and appeals to me about the series is that I can definitely, you know, put myself in Hachiken's shoes of being someone who was basically like in school, kind of focus on this, I have to study, I have to compete and excel, and I have to put all this effort into studying, but that's the despondence of, like, not really excelling the way I want to, not really, you know, seeing results, and just that kind of disillusionment there, or just putting your all into something and just, just not really paying off, and then just not really knowing what to do with yourself, and then kind of being aimless a little bit after that. And I resonate with just the seeing how Hachiken, through his experiences at Azo AG and through interactions with other people, begins to open his horizons, realizing that there's more than one way for him to live in this life. And he has skills beyond what he thinks he can do, and he's capable of more than he thought he was able to do. And that opens up doors for him. 
to be able to explore something else. And it's just such an incredible journey to see him as someone who just wants to escape from the rigors of an academic life to go to just get away from all to eventually finding something that really motivates him, a driving goal. And he starts working towards that and he becomes an entrepreneur. And I just like seeing how in his interactions with other characters, he also encourages them to think beyond what they thought was possible in their lives and to find new ways of fighting for what they really want to do in life. So I really resonate with those themes. I think like that core of the story, that is what really makes this one of my favorite manga. But I'm really curious to hear about like how you guys got into Silver Spoon. And Buggy, you have a background growing up on farms and you even have visited yes, I do. Hokkaido Farm. I really am curious to see how you got into the series and like how it's resonated with you. All right. So I started watching uh, anime sort of seasonally in late 2013. So uh, like you, I missed the first season of it. Uh, and then like with the second season, I'm like, oh, what's the oh, this is a series by the woman who did Full Metal Alchemist. And it is like a farming series. O okay, that's because like you said, I have grown up on farms like pretty much my entire life up until this point. And it was like a series that seemed tailor made for me. Uh, and then around that time, I also found out there was an opportunity through Mennonite Mission Network to go to uh, like Japan, like a farm in Hokkaido, sort of work on the farm there with the uh, the people on that farm, uh, sort of see what exactly they were doing in the, the community uh, and with farming in the area. Uh, so that was a really great learning experience. Uh, I spent a month there and got to see just how farming here in America is a lot different from farming in Hokkaido, or at least the Midwest where I'm from. Mm. I'm sure there are other places in the, the U.S. that like terrain is a big part of how um how farming uh works so i'm sure other places in the u.s farm differently but yeah uh while i was there i actually bought the first volume of silver spoon in japanese mm. so i own two copies of it now uh i was i believe i started reading it before it came out uh so i read it through scans as well uh, i got pretty close to the end before i stopped but this uh this reread here was the time that i finally finished the series so Nice. Yeah, I think we definitely want to circle back to learn just more about like your experiences being at a Kaido farm and then like whether those experiences like kind of match like kind of the content in the manga and in general your experiences growing up on farms, like how closely those mirror kind of the situations Arakawa describes. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, Arakawa does a fantastic job of world building with this series, just because I believe she grew up on a dairy farm or ranch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she knows what farms are like, and she portrays a lot of different types of farms. Like every farm is essentially its own character uh, within Silver Spoon, because that's how things are in real life. So yeah, she yeah. does a fantastic job of, of that. I definitely appreciate that look into the diversity of the agricultural industry. 
And I definitely want to get back to that as well. But to continue on my introductions, I'm also interested, Kelly, in like how you got into Silver Spoon and your experiences with it. I feel like the exact opposite. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I feel like the closest I've ever been to a farm is I like drew, drove past a farm once. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, probably. yeah, I'm definitely not from like farming stock. Um, so definitely what Kate. What drew me to Silver Spoon was Arakawa, because I am like mm. the biggest Full Metal Alchemist nut, <laughs> and so it was like anything that she did, I was like, I must, I must have it, and it's so it's totally outside my experience, but I am also kind of a sucker for those like super niche like learn something manga, you know what I mean? Like like <laughs> cells at work or like Heaven's Design Team, where you're like, hey, would you like to like learn about biology, like from like a really niche point of view? So for me, I think that's how like the farming comes off to me. And also I'm like a food person, so all the food always yeah. gets me. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, and we should separately talk about the pizza that they make because oh I've got gosh. some I've oh, got some man. thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so delicious. Pizza is arguably the most important thing about this series. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> oh, it, it always comes back to pizza in the end. Um <laughs> But so I started, unlike you suckers, I watched the first season of the anime when it Nice. <laughs> and before I read the manga. So like to the point that like when I read it, I like literally hear like Kimura Rohe's voice in my head for Hachi oh Ken my like, gosh, all the yes. time. <laughs> um, and not for any of the other characters, but like specifically for him. And then I think I started reading the manga when it got published in English. And this was also for me, this read through for the podcast was the first time that I actually have read like the later like four or five volumes so that was all new to me so i definitely have some thoughts nice mm -hmm. but i think that one of the things that makes it compelling is what you guys already just mentioned that like we know arakawa's background growing up on a farm and that like lends the manga such a sense of like a personal story to her and like the sense of like authenticity and so keeping that in your mind while you read it is like makes it all the more compelling i think i think so like, I think she definitely channels, like, her a lot of her own experiences and emotions from her time working on farms, not just growing up on them, but also, you know, after college, like, she spent about seven years while kind of just studying art, still working on her parents' farm before making a professional debut. So, yeah, she's had, a, like, a lot of time just thinking about this industry and also just what that community and what the experiences she can have on farms means to her. Yeah. And I think what is particularly interesting about the way that she takes it on in Silver Spoon and part of what makes Silver Spoon so interesting is like, you can kind of put in it in the category of those like countryside life manga. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it's like the tone is like so different. It's not like our idyllic life in the countryside. It's like, Farming is not romantic. Farming is hard. Like, farming is hard decisions. Oh, yeah. Like, don't think this is, like, fun and games. We're not strolling through the fields. Like, this is, like, we have to kill a pig now. I do appreciate how sometimes it is just like, yeah, farming sucks. It's, well, it's not it's always not great. it's not that it sucks, but that there is a harsh reality to it. It is a business, and it is a very volatile business in which a lot of the farmers are, like, barely making any profits or meeting you know, margins, like they basically are able to just barely scrape by with the way they produce things. And so if 
something happens to their cattle or crops or like there's some weird change to the weather or even in the market there's just a change in demand that makes it difficult for them to sell their crops or assets like that's gonna really hurt their business and I, I appreciate just that stone cold look at like hey this is the reality <laughs> of this industry <laughs> yeah like I really like how she like resists like romanticizing like farming but then at the same time is able to show like how rewarding it is through this kind of like coming of age like it's very very delicately handled good yeah. job Arakawa <laughs> as usual yeah like it is uh, important thing is that even through all these hardships even though it is such a difficult way to make a living the people the farmers that we see they're all incredibly passionate about what they do about raising animals about farming about you know food making food and seeing other people enjoy good food is such a huge part of it and that's what keeps them going it is truly a labor of love and passion Mm -hmm. just to kind of step in here real quick and just kind of talk about how i got into the silver spoon i surprisingly i have all you guys beat um not to to brag (laughs) or anything um but i actually started reading obviously i was reading it through scans but I know I definitely read it, like, around the time it started. I don't think I read it specifically mm. from the first chapter, but, like, I'm pretty sure when I started it, like, there were maybe, like, a few chapters out at that point. And I was actually following it weekly for a while. Um, and obviously, I, I got into the anime, like, right when it aired and everything. And, uh, boy, I really, I really wish at some point that they would, like, maybe animate the rest of it. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but... Yeah, it's a shame. They missed an opportunity to do it for the 10th anniversary, but maybe one day. Ne- never say never. Maybe but, um... one day we'll get Silver Spoon Brotherhood. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> or Silver Spoon Farmhood or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, I mean, I honestly, I think if, I mean, c- kind of like with Kelly, like I, I mostly gave it a chance because it was Arakawa and I was, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Full Metal Alchemist as well. So, you know. Like, Arakawa is one of those creators who, like, whenever she comes out with something, like, I'm instantly going to try it because, like, having anything done by Arakawa kind of gives it, kind of gives it, like, a seal of quality. Like, you kind of already know, like, how good it's probably going to be, you know? Like, Arakawa very rarely doesn't, like, you know, does any bad work, I would say. Uh, She rarely misses. And so, yeah, I, I think, I think, you know... Uh, something we haven't mentioned yet, you know, for people who, you know, who who don't have backgrounds like Arakawa or Buggy in this case, you know, for the average Joe, you know, who's just kind of looking for something to read. I think what I liked about Silver Spoon was that, like, I think, I think Hachiken is the perfect main character to kind of, I guess, the perfect POV to kind of, like, have <laughs> Silver Spoon take place from, because, you know, he's obviously... He's obviously this kid who, like, knows nothing about farming. He's from the city. He's not used to any of this. And he's, like, a perfect... I don't know what you would call it. He, he's he's the Fish perfect... Fish out of water. Like, he's yeah. a perfect audience surrogate as someone who Carl is doing. Most people reading series might not really know, like, what goes into farming. And so he she has, like, this kind of kid from a normal academic background come in like an outsider to this world to come in and learn all about it and get involved Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I I think that was the thing that really like kind of pulled me in at first, along with like its sort of like educational value. Again, like with Kelly was mentioning earlier, with stuff like cells at work and and the like. You know, it was it, it was it was interesting reading a manga about something that like I really had no like I had like no idea about. So it it really felt like every chapter I was kind of like learning something new about like this career lifestyle, whatever you want to call it it was just interesting and i i think the the more you learn about hachiken i think the more gripping the series becomes especially when you realize that like oh it is kind of like a coming of age story and i'm personally i'm 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 a, I'm a huge sucker for those kinds of stories so like you know i i followed it through scans for a long time and um i i know definitely when the hiatuses kind of started becoming more frequent i like you know, especially like the longer they became in between batches of chapters, like I, I kind of lost my momentum for the story. Like it became very hard for me to kind of like remember what was going on and kind of like connecting things together. So like I eventually kind of dropped it because of that. And you know, again, like with I guess mostly everybody here, I th- th- this was the first time I've actually had to like finish the series. Like I hadn't. <laughs> I, I definitely hadn't had I, I haven't read like the last three volumes of the series before the podcast today, so um and I'm I'm sure maybe we'll maybe we'll talk about it later, but I think the ending of the series is very, very like thematically poignant and I think it couldn't have ended better. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like even with all the hiatuses, when you read it all through just the volumes, it's kind of like seamless the way the story evolves. You can't really tell that Arakawa took rates because the story like it moves in its natural direction. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't feel like interrupted, but on the other hand reading it all through for me, this time I was like, oh, you can kind of tell where she just like hit the gas <laughs> like through <laughs> like through his like entire second year. She was like, like we skipped this. Like let's get to the end. Though that yeah, was, was intentional was on her it. part from what I can recall of like think she mentioned in some sort of interview that her plan was to spend a lot of time the first year, kind of speed through the second, and then kind of have more time on the third year before, you know, ending the series. So I don't I don't think she was trying to, like, curb the, uh, anything in the story. So much as there wasn't a whole lot in the second year. She was particularly going to spend a lot of time on exploring, so she got to, like, all the parts that were relevant before going to the third year where is where a bunch of climaxes happen in the characters as high school lives yeah 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 although it does kind of lead to an effect where i was reading through it i'm like wait a minute they're third yeah what happened in the second year (laughs) they only spend like half a volume i think in the second year so it does go very fast and she introduces she introduces that that girl the like equestrian club girl who like very, she very sweetly like does not give a name to and she's like it's all of you my like who wanted yeah. to be in farm school but she introduces oh, she her she doesn't give her a name no. she I, does, I just no. missed it she doesn't it, okay. give her a name there's a note about the character in like you know one of the between chapter kind of scribbles she she would draw like the characters and give like uh, some details about them like for her she just says this is the Equestrian Club Underclassman, I'm not giving her a name because when I introduced this character, a bunch of people wrote in, it's like, oh, 
I'm her. I relate to her. Like, I was also inspired by this manga to attend an agricultural school and join an equestrian club. And, you know, it's kind of a struggle, but I'm persevering through it. And so the character is essentially a tribute to those kind of fans. Yeah, she's like, it's it's all of you, my readers, <laughs> um, <laughs> which I thought was very sweet and Arakawa-ish. But, like, she introduces her as, like, I'm going to be a new freshman. And then it was, like, literally, like, three seconds later, she's like, I can't believe we're already at the end of my first year. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of thought she was going to be a more, like, prominent character at first, but that didn't really turn out to happen. No, she's right. just kind of exa- uh, meant to kind of, in her introduction at least, she's just meant to kind of parallel like how Hatchikin was, you know, initially when he first came to school and he was very like nervous and really unsure of himself. But, you know, and he's able to kind of help, you know, give her a little bit of confidence in joining the club. So it's it's just kind of a nice parallel to show Hotchkin's growth from the kind of person he was at the start. Yeah, a nice mm. little, like, pass. I feel like you always have to do that, too, in manga that have, like, a, a club, is you have to have the little, like, passing the torch moment. Mm-hmm. They're like, you're gonna carry on our dreams. <laughs> we were kind of talking about it earlier, but uh, I, I forgot to mention, I, I think I think the point in the series where, like, where I realized, like, Okay, yeah, this is a really good comic, and I'm I'm gonna keep reading it from now on. Is um, and I don't maybe you guys have different points, but uh, I think for me it was around like the pizza party, like kind of the end of like the spring arc, I guess if you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that was definitely around the point where I was like, okay, this is good. I like this. <laughs> I think, yeah. Kurt, you guys, I, ha- I haven't watched the anime in like 10,000 years because I'm like an old person now. <laughs> but <laughs> now, <laughs> well, evidently, since it came out so long ago and I didn't even remember how long it was. But I believe the first season ends on the pizza party. Is that? Yeah, using pork bowls meat to prepare pizza. And I feel like, yeah, that's like a natural climax in the series, I think. Mm-hmm. I think the pizza stuff came before the uh, the pork bowl stuff uh or before like the the end of the pork bowl stuff yeah, but uh, there are i think two so pizza actually parties yeah. like there's when they first find the brick oven they uncover it and they get a plan to make pizza and then they have pizza mm-hmm. but then after they prepare uh, pork bowls meat they also have a another pizza party what is meat there's just like never a time that they're not <laughs> having a party <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> have a lot of pizza parties mm-hmm which I'm, like, down for. If someone was going to, like, invite me to a party full of food all the time, I would, like, always show up. So I get it. Honestly, <laughs> it's probably perfect that we have Kelly on for this episode, considering that we had you on for Golden Kamui, an- another food <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Which I was also yeah. like, and all the cooking, guys. <laughs> I mean, that's what's great about Silver Spoon, is that it is a lot of different manga in one. It is a school life slice of life, but it is also a cooking manga and a sports manga. <laughs> and a romance and a romance, and a romance. it encompasses yes. a lot of different genres so much like how Hotchkin learns how to do a lot of different things uh, and there's a lot of different aspects of his life I think Arkala you know uses the setting of the series to explore a lot of different things she's interested in too and I really yeah. appreciate that that she just devotes time to all these like different interests of her and is able to weave it all into one really compelling narrative Yeah. so it's kind of like a bunch of different ingredients uh, all being (laughs) 
put yeah. together like on it's almost as oh, if all these disparate ingredients like being thrown into the dark nabe pot <laughs> and then like it's just a mishmash of weird things like you have natto and ramen and all these this weird stuff you just put in there boys like, bath yogurt and the boys bath yogurt and like somehow like all these different things that you think wouldn't go together might turn out to have a bad taste it actually all comes out very delicious <laughs> what what a metaphor <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i do getting back to the pizza party i do feel like that is like a natural like climax of the series because it's like when we first kind of see hachi can like come into his this space where he like realizes he can like do things and isn't like a total total failure and then <laughs> for me though i think the point that was like the like oh this is really good is actually the pork bowl stuff because i was like this is so tough <laughs> like yeah this little picky so but and like the way that she handles it is like so graceful like she just is like yeah this is hard but like this is life and like all the stuff like it's it's so like she has such a light hand with the way that she handles that stuff where it's not like depressing or like super heavy but it's also like serious mm -hmm. i mean yeah she's basically depicting the circle of life like that's <laughs> something that i also really like about silver spoon is that like it has this it has this appreciation and respect for all life whether it be like mm -hmm. animals livestock humans whatever like it, it's just it's just it's just nice did yeah. we even mention what the the pork bowl stuff was all about <laughs> yeah i mean for context hachiken uh like as the first years of the school they all have to take care of these piglets and Hachiken really starts to kind of relate and sympathize with the runt of the litter that they're taking care of, who is the eight born and, you know, obviously gets kind of the, the worst heat and obviously so that stunts its growth and Hachiken decides, you know what, this runt of the litter that is just, you know, kind of doomed to not, you know, fight for, you know, a better place in life, you know, I'm going to help raise it to be the best it can be. But of course, these piglets, they're, you know, fat enough for three months before they're shipped out for their meat. So Hotchkin has to grapple with that choice of like, you know, I'm going to name this pig and I'm going to take care of it like a pet almost for these three months. But then eventually the time is going to come where I'm going to have to part with it like this animal is going to be killed and like its meat's going to be sold. And so Hachigan has to grapple with, okay, like, I love this animal, but it is being raised for meat, so, like, what am I going to do? And I like the misdirect that he, when he first says he's going to buy pork ball, Fuji-sensei is like, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to take care of it when you leave the school? Who's going to take care of it then? But I like that. It's a great misdirect because then he says, no, I want to buy his meat. And then she's like, oh, it's like, yeah, money? And it's like, yes, from working part of them. And then she's like, immediately sold. But I like that he wants to take responsibility. Like, he raised this animal and he wants to take ownership and responsibility for what happens to it. And using its meat to basically, you know, feed everyone who has helped him out so far in his, you know, school career at Yezo. In the pizza party. And I think that was just a very, like, kind of a sweet story of, like, you know, yeah, it is, like, this difficult reality of, like, you know, having to part ways or, like, also being in this farming life. Like, you have to sometimes put animals down or 
you have to, you know, you might get attached to the cattle you're raising, but you have to eventually, like, sell them for the meat. But, like, you know, you can still love these animals, and you can still, like, appreciate raising them, but you can also still appreciate, like, the reward of, you know, raising this thing for meat and then eating the meat. And it's like, hey, that's that's a job well done there. Yeah, speaking of um, Fuji-sensei. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, pig mommy. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. She's awesome. But, like, in general, all the teachers in this series are just, like, incredible bros. Like, I don't, oh, yeah. I don't, I don't think there's, like, any teacher that's, like, eh, they're kind of mean or, like, a little cold. They're all, like, totally in it with the kids. And I'm, like, yeah, like, every single one of them. Yeah, they're all incredibly supportive and encouraging of the kids' growth and giving them the freedom to basically explore different interests and also challenge each other about like what they want to do. And so I, I like that. I like that Yezo is basically a school in which all these kids basically have the freedom and opportunities to kind of explore all their different interests and like make the most of their time to like figure themselves out. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to have gone to a school like that. <laughs> Where all the teachers are like, you want to come down to my secret cheese basement? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, amazing resources at the school. Like, I think that's what attracts so many students there. Like, specifically, like, I call it specifically, it's like, this school has some, like, amazing equipment to do, like, cell research that, you know, I, I couldn't really get if I went anywhere else. And that's what really helped me in my career and, you know, becoming a veterinarian so like the school yeah it has just like these amazing resources for the students to really encourage like their growth and like their their field of choice or interest Mm. actually speaking of fuji sensei she makes me think about like what uh, i guess one of the other things that i really like about the series is that because eventually she uh she tells everybody that like she's basically going to quit her teaching job and become a hunter because it's her dream you know, even even though she's, you know, she she's not exactly young anymore. You know? <laughs> yeah, she's like an old maid at like thirty three or something. Because <laughs> that, that's just how that's just how it goes. Once you're thirty, your life is over, I guess. Right? She's like considering my age, and I'm like, dude. <laughs> <sighs> I like that's a misdirect, though. It's because oh, like the older you get, the less you know physically capable you are to become a hunter. So this is kind of like the perfect time in my life to kind of make this career change. Mm-hmm. Like I, what, what I, what I like about the series, uh, also in general, is that like, and it's just something that Hachiken kind of learns along the way too, is that you know, is basically slow and steady wins the race. Like you, you know, there's no, there's no time limit on like when you need to achieve your goals. You can't, you can't just kind of like work at your own pace. You know, like it's, it's never. As corny as it sounds, like it's it's never too late to achieve your dreams or to pursue them. Yeah. And more than that, it's okay for your dreams to change or your life to go in a different direction. I think a good example of that is Shingo, Hachigen's brother, who initially starts off on this like dream of, oh, I'm going to become a master ramen chef and I'm touring the country to <laughs> prepare ramen. And that doesn't really work out because he just doesn't have good cooking ability. So he transitions in his career and becomes very passionate about being an online tutor. But in the uh, epilogue of the manga, he is sort of able to, you know, live his dream vis-a-vis by basically working alongside Beppu 
on his ramen restaurant and providing him with like res- recipes and stuff. So, but he's like, not allowed just to touch the food. <laughs> no, no, that's very important. Like even his wife, who is like tolerates his cooking because it's it's better than what she had when the Soviet Union collapsed. It's like, <laughs> no, don't let him cook this if you want your restaurant to succeed. But yeah, and of course, this is also reflected in Komaba's story. It's like Komaba, you know, it's like his dreams are all shattered when his ranch is closed down and everything's sold off and he kind of gives up on like owning his own ranch someday. But he learns to just continue to fight for his dream and fight for what he wants to do. And so he slowly and surely like builds up some income and then he goes to different places to work and eventually like he finds his opportunity in the epilogue of the manga of when he could set up his own farm and working inside the friends that you know have helped him out too it's just like such a great journey and message is say like hey you know your dreams not may not wake work out in short term or maybe your dream can become something totally different from what you initially set up for. And that's okay. Like, life is evolving, and it'll take you in all sorts of different directions. And if you, like, take advantage of the opportunities it gives you, uh, you can really find something that you'll love doing. Do you guys want to talk about Komaba, though? Because, like... Oh, my gosh, yes. when... He's probably my favorite character, actually. When I reread it this time... I like legit cried. (laughs) Oh my god! (laughs) When Komaba left school, like I was like I don't remember being like so sad about it. Maybe because I was like reading it so spread out, or like remember from the anime. But like this time, I like shed tears. Like that's probably some of the most heartbreaking stuff. Yeah, Uh, the the moment they lose the championship, it's it's so rough. It's just like two to three full pages of like just silent panels yes. of people like oh reacting and being devastating de- devastated or like in the case of the winning team just cheering uh like apologizing to each other for screwing it up it was yeah just so heavy yeah it's so heavy and then it, the thing is like at that point you don't even know how heavy it is because then it's like mm. all gets worse from there because you don't even truly understand the implications until like yeah. a few chapters later when he like really really leaves school and then i like it's just so heartbreaking mm-hmm. that's what's so great about rereading the series is that you can like pay attention to the character interactions like all leading up to that and like really the look on Komaba's face when uryu misses that catch and they lose the game and it's just like just this utter look of shock and not really even processing what has happened in the moment but then he just has to kind of go on with it and he doesn't hold anything against Zeryu but like he kind of immediately knows at the moment like well it's it's over and then he just resigns himself to that and it's like yeah it's just like it is like the low point emotionally for these characters in the manga is like the hardest thing and then from there they slowly and surely like pick themselves up again that single chapter for me probably rivals most like really good sports manga and you said that baseball wasn't interesting and baseball manga was boring to you did you really yes literally in the last last podcast we recorded and we reviewed the new baseball manga in jump colton said he couldn't get into it because baseball was boring oh my god i have (laughs) to tell you guys 
I love baseball anime so much. <laughs> I am like not into baseball at all in real life, but I'm no, like, yeah. oh my god, I'm crying because they went to Koshi and like I'm totally that girl. <laughs> so <But> <laughs> The thing that hit me hardest about the uh, the Kamaba storyline with them like going bankrupt was the fact that like when they were actually selling everything off, uh, that was particularly hard for me because the milking operation that they had is fairly similar to the one my grandparents had. Oh man, it was the the barn was set up in a similar way. Um, it was roughly the same scale. So like it, it was close just because I recognized the place that was shutting down more or less. It was oh no. Then just capping it all off by them all sitting together and drinking the last milk from Kamaba Ranch. Just whew. yeah, I I mentioned it earlier, but yeah, Kamaba's probably my favorite character just because like I think. I think other than Hachikin, he was probably, like, the one I was rooting for the most. Because, obviously, he suffers such a huge loss, but I really, really, really wanted to see him, like, make a good comeback. And eventually he does, so. He does. Uh, maybe I'm gonna, I might go against the grain here, because I also was obviously very pained by, by Koaba. And then, I personally wasn't satisfied with his ending. I was like, this is fine, I guess. Like, oh, like for something, something for me was like missing. Maybe because he was like in the background for so long. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. I also think the other piece of his arc that I really like is how he kind of has to learn that like when his friends reach out to him, he needs to reach back, or else yes. he's gonna be so like he's gonna be completely isolated. And, like, how hard that is for him because he's, like, watching everyone else continue high school and he's, like, made these really tough choices. But, like, I really like that, that he kind of has to be like, okay, I have to, like, I have to give back to people if I, like, want to see them again. <laughs> and then, I don't know, like, for some reason I just wanted more for him at the end. Like, it's great that he has his farm in Russia, but I was also like, I just want to see you, like, more happiness for you. And, like, I don't know. I think I was too attached. He seems pretty content, so I, I was personally okay with it. But yeah, I, I think one thing about the ending is that it doesn't necessarily show the characters have all succeeded in achieving their dreams. They're still working towards it, like they're in their final year of college, basically. And they're basically on the next step, the next phase in their lives. Like if high school was one phase in their lives, like, ending college like they're about to enter like the next phase of their adulthood and their careers and so i kind of like leaving it off on that open-ended note of like hey you know this is what could be in store for us in the future and like who knows what's in store in the life ahead but yeah there's just a lot of things we're trying and we're working towards together and i like that but one thing I like about Komaba's arc that I also want to address is uh, going back to like him, you know, needing uh, to reach out to people. It's like, it's it's not so much that like he has to, otherwise people will abandon him, I think. It's more that Komaba wants to shoulder the burden of dealing with this pain of losing his dreams all by himself. 
Like, he basically closes everyone off. He goes to school to get his stuff, to not see anybody, not interact with anybody. Like, he he puts the distance between him and other people when Hachiken and other people want to help and shoulder that burden with him. Like, Hanoba eventually realizes that he can rely on his friends to help him, which is why one of the really great moments, I think, in his arc is like when he calls Hachikin and asks him, hey, can you put me in touch with someone? I need your help. Like, I I thought that was such a great moment for Komaba, who was like, you know, so much like, no, I'm going to work by myself to pay off the debts that we, my family's incurred and put my sisters through college. I'm putting all this burden on me, like finally realizing, hey, I can... I don't have to put this all on myself. I can trust in other people to help me and I can work towards my dreams alongside them. And I, I really, and that's why I also really love the ending. It's like he again reaches out to Hachiken and it's like, hey, let's go into business together. Like, I trust you and I want to work alongside you to make both of our dreams come true. Like, I really, really like that growth for him. Another interesting thing about like that concluding arc there is that the the farm he's setting up is like you know himself it is something that is an opportunity that has grown from tragedy uh because basically like mm. the reason they're able to he's able to get all that land so cheap is because the permafrost in Russia is melting because of global warming. Mm. Yeah, I yeah. noticed when they said that she was, he was like, oh, like all the ice is gone. I was like, no, wait, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's something that sucks. But at the same time, like there's an opportunity to be gained from that. Because he mm -hmm. like, obviously, it would be better if we didn't have like severe climate change destroying the environment. But at the same time, it has given rise to an opportunity and to be able to, you know, capitalize on that to to turn a negative into a positive. Uh, I think that's fitting for the end of Kamaba's arc. Yeah. I know. I want to know what happened to his sisters. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, his sisters look like they've grown into, I guess, middle schoolers. Like, they seem like they're doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah they, they, they're driven little girls. They're going <laughs> to go to college. They're so grown up. <laughs> I mean, they, they, yeah, I mean, they, they were endeavoring to get scholarships. So I, I assume that they're still working hard toward that dream. Yeah, I think the way also, like, just since that's the very end of the manga, like the fact that Komaba does call Hachiken is like, I like the way that he's set up as kind of the nice guy who never says no, you know, but then mm -hmm. instead of instead of that making him like a doormat, he ends up kind of being like the person that people can come to for this stuff and like not feel like they're imposing on him because he like will do anything for his friends. And I feel like that is like a very fitting final place to leave his character is like, this is the dude you call because like, you know, he'll come. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love that recontextualization because early in the series, Hachiken had burned himself out because he couldn't say no to other people asking things of him. And he just pushed himself to his limits. But now, like, he's still that kind of person who you can reach out to for help, but it isn't so much he's going to do, like, everything for everyone beyond his power, but it's like he's a, become a person, in his own words, that is not going to refuse another person's dream. Like, if someone is coming to him, like, 
with help for a dream they have in mind, like he's going to help be right on alongside them, encouraging them, which is kind of another extension of like his growth of like with Makage of like being alongside Makage in support of her dream, like early in the story too. And it's like, you know, you don't have to take on all this alone, you know, allow me to be there beside you as you like, you know, work up the courage to fight for this. Mm-hmm. So what do you, what do you guys think of the the romance the Hachiken Aki romance? Oh, it's OTP. so adorable and cute, <laughs> and it's, it's so charming. I have never shipped characters them. harder than so I've awkward. I shipped those two. <laughs> For some reason, it it took me a bit to realize that like the I guess the romance wasn't like completely one sided. Same. I was like, does she like him? <laughs> like, yeah. It, for for me, if maybe I don't know if I just wasn't paying attention or something. But I like, mean, it's an interesting thing. It it does take her a while to grow into her feelings. But I, there the interesting reason for that is that Aki was subconsciously closing off that potential because of her family circumstances. And like in the beginning of the manga, even though she was very cheerful and friendly. Like, she was pretty much closing herself off emotionally to other people. Like, behind her smile, she was, like, keeping all, like, these anxieties and worries about her future to herself. And that was also affecting, like, kind of her relations with other people and also, like, recognizing Hachiken's interests and her and her own feelings in him. It's like, she didn't even think about it because, like, she when it's first pointed out for her, her reaction is like, whoa, she he wouldn't want to be with someone like me who... This inheriting, like, this farm, like, well, who would want to marry me and marry into that? So I like that growth and, like, kind of not only, like, her growing to be able to say, okay, that's not the future I want for myself. I want to work with horses, but also growing to recognize and trust other people, namely Hachiken, to kind of to really be able to vent to them and share, like, what she's really feeling with them and not just keep that guarded behind her smile. She also has that kind of like charmingly dense romantic interest yeah. thing going on <laughs> where like everyone around them is like screaming and she's like, isn't it normal to go out with a boy alone? <laughs> like at night. I mean, she's not wrong, but also <laughs> in the circumstance, he's he's putting up a lot of signals and flags. Yeah, I was like I felt a huge kinship with that, like, equestrian club girl who was always, oh, like, was in, the, in, their, yes. in their business. Yeah, and, like, even <laughs> oh, after it's that. pretty obvious they like each other, it's like, oh, I, I wonder if, you know, you'd make something for him. It's February, isn't it? She's like, yeah. yeah, it's February. Yeah. Chocolate would be nice. And she's like, okay, I'll see if I can do anything. <laughs> and she's talking to her friends after, and she's like, yeah, Hashikin's hungry for chocolate. And they're like... It's Valentine's Day. Do you know what? No, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, it doesn't even cross her mind. Yeah, she is. She is. She can be kind of airheaded in that regard when it comes to those romance flags. (laughs) Yeah, her family though, like the whole like Mikage family, is so charming. (laughs) They're like Mm -hmm. so warm, especially like. They're obviously, like, set up as a foil to, like, Hachiken's own family, which is, like, woof. Um, (laughs) It's, like, a bag of issues right there. But the way that her whole family is, like, so supportive of her, and, like, when they realize they have, like, kind of put this, this, like, 
something that they think is like a legacy, but to her is a burden. And the way they kind of like pivot and like don't stop supporting her and like don't stop supporting Hachiken is like very heartwarming. I, I think the thing that I like the best about their romance is that it's pretty clear that were there no romantic feelings on either side, they would still be like really good friends. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's why like that's why I like them together so much. It's just they're so like they genuinely care about each other as people and that like that comes before any sort of crush or like romantic feelings uh to the point that they're like well it's best that you know i know you like me uh and you know i like you but it's best that we put this on the back burner because we've got other stuff to focus on now like we'll have time for this later plus your dad's gonna kill yeah, me. that too <laughs> yeah yeah, and that's a good point. It's because, like, the effort they put into their relationship, you know, Hachikin puts into tutoring Mikage, it isn't just, like, because he's romantically interested in her. It is, like, the same amount of effort and concern and interest in helping another person that he puts into all his relationships with all his friends. Like, just like helping Tokawa and tutoring him at the beginning of the series for a long time. Even Oh, my God. I love when you meet his mom. Yeah. Oh my God! Both his parents when they when they meet Hachikin's dad, they both thank them and say, "Oh, thanks! Like, thank your son has helped my boy so 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 much. Like, really long yeah. like, so like, emphasizing really, the point. Like, know their kids so well, and they're like, "Oh my God, thank you." I, I thought the funniest thing about that inter- interaction was uh, his reactions to all the good food <laughs> and how. <laughs> terrifying oh my god like these scary (laughs) smiling faces like he's enjoying the food but he just has these creepy expressions on his face hachikin's dad in particular like goes from being like this genuinely very like despicable person to like Mm. like the more time you spend with him you kind of understand what he's about and i also really enjoy how i really enjoy like the mine of comedy gold that he is for yeah. a lot of the characters around him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially later in the series when, like, his scariness is used for some good gags. Like, people mistake him for, like, a Yakuza boss. And that caused Hawkinson's reputation to kind of get soiled, which affects his business for a while. He is arguably a I'm... more terrifying-looking character than anyone in Full Metal Alchemist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would agree. <laughs> he really is. Who would win in a fight, Vera King Bradley or Hotchkin's dad? Hotchkin's, <laughs> I, I want my manlies on Hotchkin's dad. <laughs> I, I mean, Hotchkin's dad's uncompromising, that's for sure. Like, I, I think yeah. he could. Sca- I think he could stare down King Ooh. Bradley in suspicion. Even better, make it a three-way brawl between them and uh, Mikage's dad too. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> Brown bear versus predator. I think the interesting. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, yes. <laughs> the interesting thing about Hachiken's dad for me is kind of how Arakawa uses him at the beginning of the manga really as like a boogeyman. Yeah. Right? And he's kind of like really like the embodiment of like all of Hachiken's insecurities and like everything that is wrong with his home life. And then she kind of just like softens him and like rounds him out like later in the series. Yeah. And I appreciated that they still got to a point where Hachiken's like, I'm not going to be close to my dad. Like, we're mm. not. We're not close, but like we yeah. can work together in this yeah. way. Yeah, I I I, appreciate yeah. how like 
you know, their relationship isn't just like suddenly fixed. There's still that kind of tension between them. And it's like you said, like they're, they're never going to like truly see eye to eye, but like, you know, Hotchkin's basically like, well, I, I might as I might as well use his help every once in a while or whatever. Like, my dad has money. I might as well use it when I can or whatever. <laughs> there, yeah. There's no love, but yeah. there's respect by the end. Yeah. yeah. Well, I wouldn't say there's no love on the dad's part necessarily. I think the problem with Hachikin's dad is that he's just a very emotionally distant and kind of cold kind of person. So that kind of means that he doesn't like openly show a lot of affection towards his kid, which makes Hachikin feel unloved. True, especially because he has such high expectations as well. Yeah, he has high expectations and like the way he phrases things, it like puts, it makes Hachikin feel like attacked and feel like he's always like done something wrong, has to defend himself against like his dad criticizing him when honestly his dad does bring up some points of like, well, like when he goes to the hospital and his dad is talking to him. Is like, you know, why have you overworked yourself? And then, didn't you c- come to the school to get away? And isn't a part of you like kind of looking down on your friends? Or didn't a part of you look down on your friends for you know not coming from the studio's academic background and thinking that you could do better with him? Which, to his point, Hotchkin the beginning of the series was like, you know, in this environment, I can easily be top of the class, and he was looking down on some of his peers then. So, like, I think one of the problem, one of the things about the relationship is that Hachikin's dad kind of can cut like a knife into Hachikin, and like what he really feels, and and that kind of perturbs him. But also, I think uh, Hachikin's dad also does have a problem in the sense that he has trouble just, you know, giving people just the freedom to explore themselves, like he only he really values like utilitarian like plans or like what are you doing like what's your plan like how are you going to achieve this and not like just someone taking his time to explore himself like Hachikin really needs so it's good that Hachikin was a way to get away from his dad in that environment because his dad was in many respects stifling his growth and like being away from that and like the expectations placed on Hachikin was what allowed him to really find himself and really come into his own in a way that his dad recognizes and then ultimately respects. And which yeah. is why he does, uh, you know, take seriously his business proposals and reads them even when he comes home late at night. Because he's seeing he's putting in the effort. I'm reluctant, I feel like, to give Hachikin's dad, like, too many kudos. <laughs> like, he's a dick. <laughs> like, he's just, like, a bad... He's a bad yeah. dad. I would, I would <laughs> say so. The, I don't think he is an abusive parent or easily the worst. Like I can, I can see where he's coming from, and I can see that he does care about his kid, even though he does not really know how best to talk or interact with him in a way that causes a rift between them. I feel like the way. Well, first of all, there were so many points in the beginning of the series where I'm like, "Why is his mom still with him?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that was. Well, I mean, that's another yeah. thing is that it's clear that like. His mom is not unhappy in the relationship. Like she is a little disappointed that her that he doesn't compliment her food, like in the way that she would like. But like he he doesn't mind being with him, and so yeah. there's just clearly still some thing there. Yeah, there's there's other sides that... to that guy, but he's not 
Yeah, I just, I feel from my own experiences noticing this type of person, like, the problem with him is that he's, like, very emotionally distant and cold and just not, like, able to really empathize or understand very readily the feelings of others and what they really want or need emotionally and yeah, I for think support their their reconciliation like if you can as far as you can call it that i feel like is much more about like hachi ken finding a way to relate to him yeah and less him finding a way to relate to his son yeah yeah i mean look in, in terms of like bad anime slash manga dads <laughs> or whatever like i would still i i don't know if the, there there are worse <laughs> I, I was gonna say like just off the top of my head i would still say hachikin's dad is still a better, i mean he's no shao tucker <laughs> oh god <laughs> i was gonna say i think he's still like a better father slash husband than say somebody like endeavor <laughs> yeah, yeah but, but that's that's all sure. low low bar <laughs> yeah. i mean yeah exactly he, he's not abusive he's not a bad person i do think that he has failed his kids as a father though either just because he can't get on the same wavelength as them or he just is not good at uh compromise in parenting yeah i mean what hachiken needed was just love and validation like whenever hachiken failed like he felt like a screw-up and that's kind of how his dad didn't feel when he wouldn't succeed and so I think that's an important thing is like when he's at the Makagi Royal Ranch and he makes that big screw up with like the milk tank is that the Makagi family, they don't chastise him. They say like Makagi's mom and Pricker says, hey, don't beat yourself up and think of yourself as a failure over just one mistake. That's the kind of support and validation that Hodgkin really needed to encourage his emotional growth mm-hmm. and maturity as that could provide. I genuinely kind of shudder to think about, like, what kind of person Hachikin would have been if he didn't go to this school. Like, I I just imagine him being the kind of teenager to, like, constantly frequent Reddit and to become, like, <laughs> s- sort of an incel kind of person or whatever. I, I hope not. But, yeah, I do think he would be more antisocial, more afraid to open up to people and definitely a more bitter person than what he grew up being. Yeah. But yeah. then again, I guess with Shingo, like maybe he could have ended. But Shingo became more of a fring spirit, I think, because in defiance of his act. I don't know if Hodgkin kind of ha- quite has that free spiritedness. I think the has. interesting thing about like the two of them is like his brother is definitely more of like the free spirit, and that's kind of how he escapes from his family expectations. But he's also like repeatedly portrayed as like very selfish. Mm-hmm. So like he he's like able to be like ah screw you guys I'm gonna do my own thing and then he kind of like his growth throughout the series is kind of that he like becomes more magnanimous whereas Hachiken is like so the opposite of that like he just like gives and gives and gives and gives and I think that's why like he couldn't just like tell his dad to like f off right he had to like get himself out of the situation mm-hmm. right Hachiken does reverse his brother and learn to become like. A little more selfish in so far that he learns to vo- voice what he's feeling and what he believes in and fight for it and stand up to his dad in that regard and stand up to other people too who like are refusing to kind of listen to like what he or his friends want. If there's anything I would have liked to see more of from this series in particular, it would have been 
even if it was like just a short like gag sketch or whatever that Arakawa wanted to draw in her free time, like I I would have I would have liked to see like how Hachikin's parents like got together, like what 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 she sees in. <laughs> Like, the first time they, like, fell in love with each other. There's a fun gag is when I think someone asks, it's in one of the, like, bonus, like, comic, little aside comics at the back of one of the volumes. It's like, someone asks Hodgkin's mom, why do you fall in love with Hodgkin's dad? And she's like, oh, he's smile. (laughs) (laughs) I do remember that. Yeah, seriously, like this woman has the patience of a saint. Like, why is she still here? But like, especially, like, yeah, he's probably like tough to live with, and he doesn't say like, "Honey, dinner is really delicious." But also, he's like literally driven her children away from her. Like, they don't come home. <laughs> well, it seems that the relationship is being repaired by the time the man concludes, because we do see that you know Shingo, his family does come home for the holidays, and they do spend time together as awkward as it can be with his russian bride yeah <laughs> and, their, and, and their little baby child. yeah who <laughs> has inherited her grandfather's eyes <laughs> mean looks i mean and in the end of the manga or like the like the end of volume bonuses you see that uh he's like he's uh very happy to take on he's the grandfather the grandfather yeah like he, he wants. To he like, makes sure that uh, Satan yeah. comes to visit her for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, he's so scary that afterwards, the girl's like, "Oh, Santa made me want to pee myself." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I really like Shingo's wife. <laughs> like, we only see her for like three seconds, but she like seems really cool. Yeah. It seems that she and Shingo have a good relationship, and she helps teach Kongo Russian. And yeah, it's just fun, like the, the kind of behind the scenes journey Shingo takes during the the story. Like I feel like Shingo's entire like journey, what little we see of it, could have just been its own manga in and of itself. Uh, a travelogue of misadventures of him going and working different odd jobs and I making know. a and maybe at the maybe at the end his wife like hooks Komaba up with like a hot Russian girl so he can get his <laughs> farmland. <laughs> oh man! I have a question for you guys. If you guys yeah. don't, have yeah, sure, <laughs> another sure, sure. place you want to go immediately. Did you like that Hajiken went to university at the end? Yeah, I think it was an interest. I think it was a good direction it's like for a lot of the for a couple volumes like Hachikin was like okay I'm not going to university I'm putting it all into like you know starting my business right out of high school but then the moment comes like hey actually to really run this business well we need these certain qualifications the best way to do that is to go to school and then Hachikin had in his back pocket that oh I already registered for the center test and so you know this is last minute but I can work toward this and I can achieve this and I, I can do this. So it's, I mean, that's also another thing to Hachin. And when he was asked earlier, it was like, Hey, are you really sure about not going to university? He was like, well, you know, that's just for now is that I don't plan to, but you know, school is open for anyone anytime. And yeah, I think like it was, it was just an interesting last minute circumstance, but uh, I think it was kind of, a fun direction towards in the series like oh now i have to cram to do this thing that i didn't expect to do 
But that's kind of how life is, is that it can throw things at you that you don't expect. And then you have to like, you might get crazy for a while, but uh, if you, you have to go for it sometimes. Yeah, personally, I was very like relieved by it. <laughs> like, I don't know if that was just, that's just me. But I was like, oh my god, thank god you're going to college. I feel like that scene where Tamako, who is another amazing character that we haven't mm-hmm. talked about, um, <laughs> talks to him. And she's like, you're kind of like putting all your academic like baggage on Mikage and like it'd be different if you were testing in but like you're not you're like putting it all on her and he kind of like has this freak out moment about it but like I don't know it really stuck with me and I was like you should go dude like you should take the test and I was so relieved that he finally had to Mm-hmm. I mean, even earlier, I think the suggestion that Mikai's uncle gives her when she says, no, I don't want to take over the family farm. I want to work at the bunny stables. He's like, go to college because you don't know what life's going to bring. And the industry that you want to work in is very unstable. So going to college, getting a degree, that opens up more doors for you. You'll have more tools in your box to handle whatever life throws at you. And I think that's a, that's definitely a good lesson of like, yeah, going to school is going to give Hachiken now also like this tool that he can use for his business, but also in a bunch of other areas or careers outside of that, like that he can use to his advantage, you know, wherever life takes him. Uh, Yeah, I guess we haven't like mentioned Tamako yet. And we were kind of like talking about this a little bit off mic. And I don't know if, how much we want to talk about this, but I personally, I, I kind of appreciate how like, how full-on capitalist she is and that's just that's just kind of what she's about and and she's and she's good at it you know though i i guess i will say like if there was anything i'd have to like criticize about the series like one of the few things i definitely didn't like that i'm i'm glad they kind of weaned off of a little bit is the whole like because the the whole thing with tamako is that like you know she's rounder she's shaped like an egg that's where her name comes from tamago egg Mm mm-hmm that's the joke, I guess. And then, you know, we, we, we get a lot of these gags where, like... Yeah, there are a lot of jokes down. at the expense yeah. of her weight. Especially yeah. in the first yeah. round, there are a lot of jokes that kind of are ridiculing Tom or dismissive of Tamako for her weight, particularly yeah. on, like, Hachikin or Tokiwa's part. And so in the first volume, I feel there's a lot of mean-spirited humor in that regard. But yeah. as the series goes on and Tamako gets more fleshed out as a character, those jokes start to appear less and less but i also do feel like the whole concept of like tamako can very readily and easily like slim down like she is overweight by choice is well it's it's a positive in one respect that tamako kind of is comfortable in her body and owns her weight but also it is kind of an annoying trope to have like overweight characters in manga like they have this oh no it's not that they're overweight they're only overweight by choice. They can very easily slim down and look conventionally attractive under these other circumstances. And it's like kind of an annoying trope because, you know, for a lot of people, you know, we they can't really lose weight that easily. So yeah. it's not. And, you know, even though it's great to be comfortable in your body and you're comfortable with the way you look, but also suggest that, oh, like, you can very easily lose all that weight if you also so chose. is also, you know, kind of not a great message for a lot of people. Yeah, and then if you do, you're, like, secretly hot underneath. Like, yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm, Which I think is, like, the same thing that Kiss Him, Not Me was criticized for, like, yeah. when it came oh, out. Holy shit, like... yeah. I, I mean, 
I tried to give that series in particular a chance, but I just I couldn't get past the premise. It really just turned me off completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the hot girl makeover. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's also especially when it's gendered towards, you know, overweight women in particular. Like, Bapu is also an overweight character, and there are some jokes made at his expense, but they're very different in tone than a lot of jokes made at the expense of Tamako's weight. Yeah, but he's a guy. He's not supposed to be hot, unlike girls. Unlike Tamako. Mm-hmm. I do really like how she develops, though, like, throughout the series. Like, she is, like, so... She's so ruthless. Yeah. <laughs> like she said, she, she's just like a ruthless <laughs> capitalist. And boss. she's, but like also like, yeah, exactly. But also like secretly like supportive of her friends, like underneath. Like she's not openly. like, to- she's not like cutthroat, you know mm. what I mean? But she is like, she gets it. Mm. Yeah. She is very collaborative with everyone else too. Like she does help out her friends, like becoming, you know, Hodgkin's accountant. Obviously she wants to get paid for it, but, you know, she believes in his business and that she tells him as much like she, you know, becomes the account of his business because, you know, she has trusted him. And also, like, uh, the pork fund, too. It's like she manages the pork fund because, she, like, yeah, you know, she respects Hodgkin's trust in him and she also has trust in, in him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's like the voice of, like, pragmatism. Yeah. Like, all the time. And I like how she's so shy. <laughs> <laughs> and I love, I love the gag. Like, uh, when they visit Tomiko's farm... Like, they're talking with her parents and they're saying, oh, you know, it seems like Tomiko is, like, placing all the, placing the entire business and this idea of inheriting farm on her shoulders so early at a young age. We'd like her to kind of explore things more. And that's, like, the end of a chapter. Cliffhanger is, like, them saying, oh, we're kind of worried about Tomiko. But then immediately in the next chapter, they talk to Tomiko about this and it's like, she's like, no, like, I'm going for this. I'm going to take over this farm. I'm going to overthrow you as the CEO. And I'm going to run this business better than you ever could. And she has an older brother too, right? She has that yeah. older brother and she's like, he's soft, he's weak. Like, I'm going to take the farm from him. <laughs> oh. Do you guys want to talk about Okawa? Oh my God, yes, I love Okawa. I, I, I definitely I definitely ping-ponged back and forth between how I felt about him for a while. Same. I think I I really love Okawa. He's just such a funny character. Like he is such a POS in many <laughs> regards. Like he's so petty and he's so vindictive, but he that is also very funny. There are so many gags. And to his credit, he is also very handy and shrewd. Which, in a, a strange and bizarre way, does make him a really appropriate business partner for Hachiken. And they work well alongside each other. So I really love when they team up uh, to start Silverstone. Yeah, when he's like first introduced as like the equestrian club senpai, you're just like, yeah. okay, whatever. And then he becomes this like weird petty genius. Who, I, like... yeah, I love his growth from kind of like just this kind of tertiary really background character to like one of the main protagonists about the last third of the series and i love that that long running joke of like him like just hanging around the christian club because he's having trouble finding a job and he's also putting it off oh, uh, and i i honestly like in the state i am now like you know i've been kind of searching for a job last couple of months a new one after my last one ended i'm like man i can really relate to akala on a whole other level now oh yeah holy <laughs> shit seriously like i think i think in retrospect i definitely relate to akala in that like you know definitely after i graduated high school i i i had a really hard time trying to find like 
like real stable work, like stuff that wasn't just like seasonal or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, I like I definitely understand where Okawa's coming from when you just kind of get to the point where it's like, why can I not find a job? This is bullshit. I also love it when people clown on Okawa too. Like when Nishikawa is like fightful of Okawa. And <laughs> so he like does a ton of microaggressions against him, including like putting it in his face that he's able to attract the affections of the meat loving girl <laughs> and not <laughs> yeah and he completely deserves everything yeah oh my god the best part is when after he gambles all of their earnings from the <laughs> Benet stadium on the horse races when Toyonishi kicks his face in and the entire next chapter when they're having the after party dinner his face is kicked in for the entire chapter and the entire conversation that's, that that's one thing I like really loved about uh rereading it on this thing because i i'm able to read manga a little better now like analyze it a little better and i can really appreciate how arakawa does comedy because she Mm -hmm. will stick with a gag she'll have a background gag that's pushed into the foreground more or less there are gags that are hard to miss or impossible to miss but like doing something like just casually having Okawa's face smashed in throughout an entire chapter. It's like, wow, okay, we're committing to this. <laughs> and she does a lot of stuff <laughs> like that. Way. Yeah, a lot of the recurring gags end up paying off in like important story moments like that. It's like also the recurring gag of Tokiwa mis- overhearing like Hachiken talk about something in relationship with a His girl. His romantic and, liaisons. Yeah, and thinking that, yeah, he's, he's having like Trist or that he's gotten someone pregnant and <laughs> I will say the one running gag that eventually drove me crazy was like Hachiken and Mikage being like interrupted in the middle of his confession. <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna slap someone. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's like... the biggest romantic comedy, you know, frustration of a cliche for sure. But you know, eventually they do get there. And he like finally screams it out to her over the phone and then it's like cuts to her dad. And I was like, no. <laughs> I think my favorite running gag was um, like uh, having someone like hold the the phone up behind the horse for them to kick and it getting destroyed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was pretty Uh, funny. I really appreciate the elasticity of Arakawa's characters and her comedy. Like even though this is a more grounded slice of life story in some regards in terms of like the situations and emotions. Like there's just some really wacky slapstick and really crazy expressions and moments of uh, physical comedy that pushes the reality but is also enjoyable to read and also just the way she can hold like these really crazy expressions too one of my favorite moments is when you know Hodgkin is you know after overhearing or or seeing like Mikage and Komaba like you know, talk in private and Mikagi crying. Like, he tries to confront Mikagi about it and she's saying, oh, it has nothing to do with you. And then, of course, we get that great panel of, like, the D-end. Like, just, she cut it short, like, right there. But it goes on to the next page where we see Hajikin in the classroom and his expression, it's like, I like to call it just these black hole abyss eyes and now He's just in a stupor. And it's for an entire page, just him in different angles in a stupor while in the background. Like, Mayumi is talking about, like, a romantic comedy story about, you know, a, a two childhood friends getting together, obviously. 
commenting on Hodgkin's fears of, of uh, Mikagi and come up uh, being in a relationship too. So. I know I was like cross, cross game, like <laughs> yeah, any Adachi series, really. Yeah, I, I think oh. in general Hachikin's like expressions and reactions are always like consistently really good mm-hmm. especially when i mean if you told me before i went into this series because i think one of my favorite gags that like when it comes to hachiken is like him always crying blood and yeah. it's just like even if it's a gag like there's so much more blood in this series than i thought there'd be oh my gosh <laughs> yes and again like there are background games where characters are beating each other up and they're sending him flying with blood gushing like when all the cows escape on mikage ranch and like hachiken is told of like okay the cows with like the longer udders are from ours the ones that are kind of have the younger ones are ours and then he like is looking at Mikagi, and then in the background of the next panel, like how can I mean Mikagi's dad is like beating him up and sending him flying to the air. <laughs> like, I, those are great, and I like how we have all this fantasy slapstick violence in the series, and then this pays off in a moment of there's actual the character gets into an actual act, and like Hachikin is hit in the car, and initially it's like played off in the same kind of gag style at the end of one of the chapters, but then you go to the next chapter and no, there's actually consequences to this act of violence. <laughs> <laughs> He's broken his leg. Yeah, Ar- Arakawa's characters are so very expressive and like that that's evident in the over-the-top expressions as well, but like she's really great at portraying like really nuanced expressions. Like with, <laughs> with Mikage, like through the first part of the series, uh, she is very frequently smiling and cheerful but if you look closely you can tell there's something that's just a little bit fake about it and then like you mm-hmm. you see the shots of her uh like the the drawings of her when she's talking about horses or like watching the horses and there's just it's so much more genuine in those shots and like you can really tell the difference she she has such good expressions really conveys a lot mm-hmm. of emotion uh through that Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, speaking of Mikage, I think some of my favorite moments with her, as far as, like, her expressions go, that we don't get to see super often, but, like, I, re- I really like when she's, like, when she's, like, in the middle of riding her horses, and, like, specifically, Arakawa kind of draws her with an, with, with the sort of, like, really, like, stern, sort of intense expression, like, mm-hmm. you almost feel like you're kind of reading something from Full Metal Alchemist, almost, with the way that, like, steam kind of comes off her sometimes and like how intensely like her expressions are drawn like super mm. shaded intense yeah. panels yeah sphere sports my competitive spirit there mm-hmm. i mean in general and i mean i don't know maybe maybe it's because like i haven't read full metal alchemist in probably a decade at this point so my memory is probably very fuzzy but like i feel like in terms of like comedy and, and like the expressiveness of the characters that like Silver Spoon is probably a notch above Full Metal Alchemist in that respect. I would agree just because Full Metal Alchemist with the kind of story it was, like there were a lot of humor and gags, but there's a lot more variety and a lot more like exaggeration in Silver Spoon in a level that Full Metal Alchemist didn't quite reach. I mean Full Metal yeah, Alchemist although... was also like a very is a lot more serious of a story too, so yeah. there's also that. Although, when I have come back to Full Metal Alchemist, and I haven't read it also in a long time, 
I always remember it being like more slapsticky than I recalled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I feel like there is a lot of humor about like Ed's height and like yeah. them drawn in that kind of little like chibi style and like these slapstick moments that I think get less throughout the series. Yeah, yeah, but it's interesting because when I think about the humor in FMA, it is in like kind of the more super deformed style that I think about those moments. And when I think about Silver Spoon, I think about all these other different styles that Arakawa employs to sell humor, whereas like make this utilize creepy dramatic expressions for humor or <laughs> just, again, use like these abyss eyes type of expressions with these faces of like, actual dejection horror or yeah just there's just so many playful things in this that arca employs here in terms of tricks to sell humor like in terms of fun art tricks i I like there's one moment when you know hachiken is told by shingo that uh they're having a baby he spits out his milk and they're it's dripping up along the side of a word balloon (laughs) like i love seeing stuff like that i think she has a lot of fun with the form of comics and also her art when drawing the series yeah i was actually just going to mention that too because uh one moment that kind of came to mind besides that was when uh they're trying to teach the dog how to like uh, listen to uh, hachiken's commands or whatever and mikage uh, sits down to kind of like tries to give it commands but obviously since they since since both him and Hachikin are both referred to as like the vice president or whatever, Mikagi's very scathing commands also like literally <laughs> like the word balloons hit Hachikin and, and this literally is knock him out. Yeah, <laughs> I, I really I really appreciate stuff like that. Like I I feel like there are definitely more there are definitely more moments like that than in Full Metal Alchemist as far as I can remember. Where it's like it's like you said like Arakawa is not afraid to like play with the medium of comics in in like a really fun way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think she has more latitude in Silver Spoon to do that kind of stuff because it's like it's like there are lots of serious moments in, in Silver Spoon, but it's not like life or death most of the time. Yeah, so it's she has a lot more range to like play with all the stuff these these characters are doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't break the tone of the series. Like even when we're having like a like kind of a dramatic moment like a moment of comedy like interrupts it like i think it manages to work really well mm-hmm. i mean i think a great example of like you have like this kind of sincere moment happening and then comedy interrupts it is of course when hodgkin and mccoy go in for their kiss and their, their helmets <laughs> touch each other <laughs> their faces kissing and they're like, they have this panel of like they have them hiding their faces in their hands and then apologizing to her and then they go out again. <laughs> it's just such a great joke. Oh man. Us, Those yeah. poor kids. I feel yeah. so bad for them. <laughs> I laughed so hard at that the first time I read it. <laughs> that was definitely like a nice little moment of like awkward comedy there, like, oh it's funny, mm-hmm. but also this is kinda cute and I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also I honestly like don't find Mikage like that compelling as like an individual. Mm-hmm. I That's feel like fair, you guys yeah. all just gasp. Um, like I like I like her, but like I don't like I wouldn't read like a manga about her. You know what I mean? I would read a sports manga about her. I think. You know, but like when she's part. with Haji Ken, like those moments like become really like sweet and funny. Yeah. yeah, I think she definitely shines when she more so when she interacts with the other characters. I I think on her own she's she's okay, but like 
I think her two best moments is when she stands up for her dream, I guess, for with her parents. And it's like saying, hey, I don't want to tear at the farm and I want to work with horses. And then also when she stands up to Hodgkin's dad and says, hey, your son is not a failure. Like, his, your son is helping me and I really appreciate him. And I, I'm going to show you through, like, succeeding that, you know, he himself is also you know a great person so yeah i I think those are like her two really big uh shining character moments but i think there are also a lot of fun gag moments too like uh like there are two moments where she's like like very upset that they named the pig brand and she doesn't like the comparison of being called a pig and that's her big thing she brings up in the the post benet's Stadium meeting, like her saying, like everyone's talking about, okay, how did the pizza sales go? What were the, some of the problems with it? And her thing was like, hey, the branding of Makage Pigs is not good. Like a person's name plus the food product, that's so derivative on an internal. You should go with a more <laughs> uh, creative name. And it, Okawa's like immediately rejects it. <laughs> okay, do you guys really think that like Gouda should be the primary cheese on a pizza though? <laughs> I, like... I've never tried it, so I'm <laughs> interested to try it. I just don't feel good about it. Don't feel good about it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, they used a, oh a three-way blend of cheese. Uh, it wasn't just mm, Gouda. That's true. So. Yeah. Didn't they use Gouda to more, like, kind of accent the rest of the cheeses or something? No. No. They used it in place of any other cheese, because they were like, Oh, often uses mozzarella, but like we can't really get it here, and we don't have buffalo mozzarella, so like we'll use gouda. And I was like, "What?" I mean, I would try it. I, I don't know. I've never actually like tried yeah. gouda cheese, so like mm-hmm. I, I have no. I've had reference. gouda, but I haven't had it melted on pizza, so that's what I I want to try first before. This is the experiment judging. that we all need to go do. <laughs> pizza is a lot more versatile than uh than you would imagine yeah. from the pizza that we usually get. I like I've had some really good <laughs> yeah. original pizzas. Ooh, yeah, man. I mean, this. Mo- I think again, speaking of the pizzas in Silver Spoon, like it made me want to try a lot of different creative pizzas with different types of cheese choices and also different type of toppings. Like, you know, I haven't had pizza with potatoes yet, so I like. Yeah, I want to eat that. all of those potatoes. Yeah, potato varietal. <laughs> yeah, the different varieties. Um, oh my god, another great gag of just all the pages of when Nishikawa is like listing off all the different potato brands, and he's. He's represented them all with like these anime avatars, like a Jingas. <laughs> See that—that's a question I wish we got. It was uh, which which one is your potato waifu? <laughs> oh my gosh! I I can't go with any of them. My uh, my heart belongs to Red Viking and Yukon Gold because that's what we raised back on the farm. Oh. Mm. <laughs> Do you have any like potato recipes you'd like to share with our <laughs> listeners today? <laughs> Not really. I never did any of the cooking at home. It's my biggest weakness. I I can barely cook. Mm. But I, it's it's okay. <laughs> you're uh, you're a good company here. Yeah. No, I I like cooking. But yeah, and this manga definitely makes you want to try some of these recipes, just like Food Wars did. Like I appreciate yeah, it. the it back does. of Volume Ten. They offered a bunch of recipes that I'm keen to try, and I, I kind of wish more of the volumes had them. I guess there is a book cookbook in uh, Japan that had some of the recipes, so maybe I'll hunt. I that think down. I might have heard about that. Yeah, I was just thinking, like, I would, I would love to try pizza with potatoes on it because I don't think I've ever had that kind of pizza before. Oh, what about uh, what about the hot dogs? 
Hot dogs also look super cool. And oh, man. Especially with, like, the freshly baked bread. And God. that's one of the recipes yeah, that they have for you to so make. Like, I definitely am going to make that bread one day. Yeah. They were sausages. Okay, yeah. hot dogs are terrible. Like dogs. Sausages are good. <laughs> they <laughs> yeah. made hot dogs out of them, yeah. like, with the buns yeah. and everything. Okay, does anyone among us have any sausage-making expertise? Oh. Because... Oh. What I was wondering, you're like, yes, when they make the sausage, they put in ice when they like emulsify it in the in the like mixer. And I was like, what? Um, Can anyone help me uh, with this question? I, I can't find out now. Unfortunately, it, I have made sausage in the past. It has been so long, though. Uh, but actually, my hometown has a, a big uh, German food festival every oh, every nice. year. Um, not this year, probably, and not last year, for obvious reasons. Lump. But, uh, like, one of the big things is, uh, like, German sausage, which was specifically the type of sausage that they made. So, they're, like, German sausage uh, was a very big thing, like, in my community. So, it was really exciting to get to see that. Uh, and... I don't know. I guess I can report back on on that because I I, I know <laughs> I know plenty of people who would know uh, like the sausage making process pretty well and pretty in depth. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering. Yes. I was like, I've never seen such a thing. Is this a true fact? It must be. Our car wouldn't clown us like that. No, I mean she, she obviously with her background, she probably has a lot of experience making a lot of stuff herself. But also, I think she. Definitely took a lot of time to do research uh, on what she did now, which is another fun thing about the series, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, well. Here, here's a question. If you guys had a chance to make any of the same stuff that we saw the characters make in Silver Spoon, what, I guess out of all the food, what would you be interested in like making yourselves? Well, mm-hmm. making pizza is always fun. So, I mean, that'd be great. I mean, you know, it's... Freshly baked pizza, including the the base of it. I specifically meant like the ingredients, like bacon or sausage. Yeah, like, yeah. I honestly, I'd like to try making uh, all of it. All of it seems like interesting to try uh, at least. Yeah, I kind of. I was like, maybe I should make sausage. Like after reading that, <laughs> if I had the opportunity to, and even if I had to like wait for it, I'd like. I think it'd be worth it. I would love to like try and make cheese at some point if yeah. I had the opportunity. It sounds like a ton of time timelines are but... so extended. Yeah. Like months, yeah. Well, you could make like you could make mozzarella in like an afternoon. <laughs> I've I've seen videos on how to do that and I I might try that at some point. I would like to anyway. Yeah, I really appreciated though how like in the sausage making chapter, like they're all like perfect when like the guys are doing it and then like the kids try it and they like suck. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. that's totally how it would be. Like that's how it would happen if I made sausage. So, so be all, like, lumpy while we were weird. talking, uh, I went and it does look like there is a video from that festival of the sausage making. <gasps> I can link that here. Uh, hopefully it's a good video. I haven't had time to watch it, but... We can maybe put that in the show notes potentially as well, even if it the the town I come from is so small it's essentially doxing me. But that's fine. <laughs> I appreciate your yeah. instant research on this matter. <laughs> I don't really know how to like segue into this, but like I can't help but wonder 
because I, I know, Buggy, you mentioned that you've been to Hokkaido before. Like, what 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 is it like in Hokkaido, just in general? It is a temperate climate. Is that the word I'm looking for? It is, it is warm to cool, I would say, I, it, from my experience there. Mm-hmm. Like, it can get pretty warm, but, like, mornings uh, are, are pretty chilly. I was there in the summer. Would have been July, I think. Late end of june to beginning of july i think is when uh was when Mm -hmm. i was there and it was um a lot cooler than uh where i was or where i'm from it is pretty mountainous uh there's like mountains everywhere in uh in sapporo or around the sapporo area and that that affects the climate uh but that also affects how farming is done uh one of the things that really stood out to me uh was the fact that everyone was so excited to see a combine harvester go by and it was like everyone uh, was yeah. like rushed to see that <laughs> and for me like i've been riding in those things with my dad since i was 6 i don't know if i ever drove <laughs> one uh, but it was like it's something that's super commonplace in the midwest because we have so much land well in in japan the fields are a lot smaller uh they're terraced one of the things that i did a lot of while i was uh like on the farm there was i just like weed whacking around the edges of the field because you get growth that you can't just mow down you have to go out and do that manually um but they're they're much smaller fields uh as opposed to like what we have here in the midwest but yeah the 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 climate is sort of temperate uh and the like the the terrain is pretty mountainous so i i'm really not so what you're telling me is it's not always just snowing no, up there. No, I, I would imagine that <laughs> the, like, you you can see, like, in the beginning of the uh, the series, like, the, the snow is there in, like, early spring yet. The series starts in early spring, and you can see, like, green grass along with the snow. That, you know, that's something that we mm-hmm. get pretty frequently in South Dakota as well, like, Winters can go pretty late. Uh, they've been going, they've been starting and going especially late recently, probably due to climate change. But yeah. they are, uh, it does not snow year round. Uh, it can snow pretty late, but it usually warms back up pretty quickly. And then depending on the year, uh, it can snow pretty early. I would imagine uh, Hokkaido is much the same. They're a lot more north uh of the the equator and a lot more mountainous i imagine that that affects the the environment and the uh like the the climate as well so okay i guess as far as like kind of your farming background like was there anything else in silver spoon that like also kind of like hit close to home to you or kind of spoke to you or just kind of like stood out to you just in general i guess besides everything um, else you mentioned i guess uh just like well, one, the reactions to the food, uh, like farm fresh food, is really good. Although sometimes, if you're you're eating the it. same stuff every day, uh, it can get tedious. Like I, I used to love sweet corn, and then we started like doing a big gardening thing and raising sweet corn for that. And I still love sweet corn, but. You love it a little less when you have a surplus of it, and it's like, okay, well, you know, ha- have like two or three ears every meal. 
Yeah. <laughs> what can we do with all this eat sweet it. corn? Eat all of it. But it is, uh, mm. the, the other thing that really stands out is, like, the connection to animals, like, just grappling with the fact that you're close to these animals and then they go away and you eat them in a lot of cases. I know my my little sister raised mm. a few lambs. And then for years afterwards, uh, after she sold them to market, uh, she refused to eat any sort of mutton. Mm. And then finally, something that uh, that really stood out to me was uh, the Holsters, uh, that club, because... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm afraid of where this is going. <laughs> I, I did 4-H, and for that I did like a lot of cattle shows. Because my grandparents owned a uh, a dairy farm, like I uh, I showed some brown Swiss as well. So I'm I'm familiar with like the the beautifying of cows, and it's like yeah, that's that's pretty much how it is. A lot of people are a lot less obsessive about it than the holsters, but like there is a very big, essentially cow pageant community, and there's like there's. Uh, very strict, uh, well, not strict, but like very uh, well-known like guidelines about how to set up your cow, how to make it look better, emphasize sort of, um, you know, it's like what leg you put for, like with uh, with dairy cows, you put one leg back uh, because that ends up emphasizing the udder more, which is a vital part of the cow, something that needs to be emphasized. But with beef cattle, what you do is you uh, like have them stand square because that makes their back line a lot more straight and it makes it stand up more uh, and and you want them to look stockier uh so it's it's all very interesting and like the holster stuff it's like yeah they're blown out of proportion but no like the the beautification of cows like that that's a big thing <laughs> i love this i'm so glad that i know this now <laughs> huh I, I too appreciate all the uh, all the farm wisdom that you are uh, imbuing yeah. onto us. Do you feel like you know how like everyone in Silver Spoon like they're super like proud of their their farms product? Like, is it Tokiwa's family that's like the egg farmers, and they're like, have an <laughs> egg, have ten eggs, like, <laughs> like take eggs home with you. Like, do you feel like that? Is oh yeah, a truth. Yeah, it's. I mean, when you're selling something, you have to be you know proud of it uh and you know you have to have some some form of pride in it i don't think anyone's going to be like yeah you're fine not drinking our milk because our milk sucks (laughs) (laughs) i'm just like who do i need to make friends with they will send me a box of hard if you you, if you grow up on a farm uh there will be like Every time I go and visit home, uh, my parents are like, oh, no, take take some hamburger back with you, you know, uh, take some eggs. Because <laughs> oh, we, you end up with a surplus or like enough of a surplus that you can give, you know, some away free to friends. Nice. An abundance yeah. of good food. <sighs> Man, I'm jealous. <laughs> I really liked one of, this is like, unrelated related like one of the really touching moments i liked in silver spoon was when hachiken goes home to see his he's not even going to see his parents and he's like going to pick up his brother's notes or something 
but like all his friends like <laughs> secretly like pack him a cooler of like all their little foods for his yeah. family. <laughs> they're like, here's some cheese, boys like here's some natto, here's some here's yogurt. Boys like back take it. yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> Uh. I was like, it's so sweet because it's just like they're like, oh, of course you're going to see your mom. Like mm-hmm. you must bring her my cheese that I made. <laughs> they're just so excited to share like this food they're really proud of with other people and just have them eat something delicious. Like that's a great another great recurring gag is like when their f- people are feeding another person something like they're always watching for their reaction and for them to. Yeah, I mean, it, it's basically like you know. Pushing your mm-hmm. art on people, like, hey, you know, here, here's this podcast I did. Check it out. Uh, <laughs> e- except you don't really have to deal with any imposter syndrome because it's like, oh, you know, this is food. Everyone eats food. Everyone needs to eat food. No one's going to be sad to receive food. Uh, whereas, like, if someone, you know, watches a movie or something mm-hmm. that they don't like, it's, you know, that's a little disappointing. But you know. Everyone eats food. I just imagine someone being really sad at like receiving a podcast. Like, oh, <laughs> another one. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I've got ten of these already. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I forget if we talked about this on or off mic, but I don't know. Like one of the last things I, I might want to talk about a little bit is, uh, and we were kind of talking about this a little bit. I really like sort of Silver Spoon's take on legacy, especially when it come especially when it came to like the idea of the Silver Spoon that's like hanging over the cafeteria and like when the principal basically like kind of like explains the meaning behind it, mm-hmm. which I don't know if you were supposed to like understand it like immediately or anything, but I I, I do appreciate how like you know, every once in a while when, like, we do call attention to the Silver Spoon, like, everybody's kind of, like, talking about, like, what it could possibly mean, and then basically Arakawa just kind of, like, explains it to us, like, later on or whatever, like, what it what it's supposed to represent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually, like, thought this was interesting, because I didn't, like, research the, like, etymology of the Silver Spoon expression or anything before coming on here to be an expert on it, but... I feel like the way that Arakawa explains it's just like, oh, like, in the West, like, a silver spoon is, like, prosperity, like, that child will go hunger, but that's, like, mm-hmm. not the connotation that we would normally think of, of, like, oh, yeah. he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. You would normally use it in a disparaging way to say, oh, this person Some is born Some folks are born silver wealth. spoon in hand. Yeah. Right, exactly. It's like, oh, they, like, are don't deserve their advantage or they're, like, stuck up or, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, they're too, yeah. they're too dependent on their wealth, maybe. Yeah, so I was like, is there like another, <laughs> is there another interpretation? I mean, she definitely recontextualizes it in a more uh, charitable way in the sense that being, you are born into like maybe some advantages. Like with these older farm kids who go to Hueso, like they are, you know, often born with an inheritance of like their family's land or their business that they're, you know, probably going to receive one day but like the, the it also extends in just a sense of like the silver spoon the story that the principal tells about families you know they buy a silver spoon on their child's birthday and then 
over time, they build up a full cut thirty set uh, over the course of that child's life until they grow into an adult. Like every year, they get it. They add a new piece of silverware to the set, and like even though it's only a a once a year relationship the family has with the silverware maker, like it's still a valuable relationship. It reflects both the journey of that family of their child of the artisan and and reflects then kind of that community in a sense and that also reflects upon Uezo as an institution is that it is a place where a bunch of resources and experiences have been built up over time by the previous generations of students who have been there and have left things behind for the newer generation to use and develop in their own way like the library full of the former research projects that all the students had developed that are just free for people to peruse and use the base to expand upon their own research. And also in the series with Hachiken creating the brick ovens and the brick ovens becoming an institution, a fixture of the school even after he's left. And people still hold pizza parties long after he's left the school. And that's what he's left behind. That's what he's left for other students to use. And not only that, though, and that's what makes, I think, like the final couple of pages and the ending so poignant is that he's also left behind this president of someone who came to the school from a non-farming background, but then came to excel in it. But also he was like the first of a student the school had who, you know, decided to go on an entrepreneurial path like right out of school and before he came there like the teachers wouldn't have had some precedent to refer to like how to succeed on this journey but because Hodgkin has gone and done that now they can cite him and his story as something to inspire the students that have come after him are also interested in going down that same path and so that I think is such an important part and message of the series is kind of what you've built up it sticks on past you. Like you leave behind things for other people to use and build upon in their own journeys and careers. And they in turn will leave things behind for the next generation, so on and so on. And things build from there. And really this also connects again to the development of food and food science in general, like all these different techniques, the different ways of experimenting with food and cultivating food. Those are also all built up over time from people experimenting and developing things and leaving behind their findings for the next generation to refine going on and going on into the future. So like, I like that thematic connection, just like how, again, a lot of the series about community and how working together or different people from different backgrounds and different skills can create something bigger than themselves and achieve remarkable things. This is also again, a reflection of, you know, pooling together, like, all the experiences everyone has brought to the cable and developing it into something greater in this grand history of life that everyone is mm-hmm. uh, embarking upon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, to get a little bit back to capitalism. <laughs> I like, it's, I feel like the, like, really, like, grand thematics that you have just, like, so clearly like sketched out like are really like this overarching theme of the series but then i feel like they become towards the end like so nakedly (laughs) capitalistic when it's like actually this is about networking (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the power and connections about the friendship and, you know, community karate helping each other sense, but also in like, oh, this is very useful in a business sense of like right. getting resources and getting an in with someone to help you grow your business. Right? They're like, like, our friends, we're here for each other. But then it's also like, I should go to college so I can make more connections and network with people. Here's my business card. Like, call me. Yeah. It's inspiring and practical. Silver Spoon has a very... Uh, rosy outlook on capitalism i would say uh and like it does yeah really go into its drawbacks but it's it's interesting because like the silver spoon it does represent this legacy and this sort of community and doing things with the community as well but in a way it also represents self-sufficiency it's like okay well you have the silver spoon you have these skills and that's something that you can use to move forward uh it's in a lot of ways, it's very community-driven mm. and it's very individualistic at the same time. And it doesn't really go into how that individualism, uh, like, it celebrates the individualism through community. And because of that, it can kind of gloss over how individualism can be weaponized against people as well. And when, you know, it everything is done in pursuit of individualistic goals it becomes very very quickly corrupted and a very negative thing yeah I've, i mean the series has this optimistic look that people work together in harmony and cooperation like even tamako who runs like you know this mega farm is like telling uh kamaba and her buddy like you know i would like to have a system in which where we are big farms and your smaller farms can like coexist together but also she notes with the caveat that uh, our farm makes the most money so you know it's it's kind of like people can cooperate and encourage each other's growth but under the system of capitalism like there are people who are going to like to come up a ranch like kind of fall to the wayside and get left behind and also struggle to make ends meet in general like most of the farms that we meet like they mm -hmm. they are just barely scraping by but yeah it's it's definitely like again the series has more of an optimistic message about growth and collaboration i think and the kid and okawa's like capitalist ventures running their own business <laughs> you know uh, it yeah. also is it's meant to be a reflection of them hey they're they're working together to work towards their goals and not like talking about oh uh, what is the the end goal of them mm -hmm. continuing to grow and grow i guess mm -hmm. yeah like all things in silver spoon like i appreciate arakawa's nuance here right where mm -hmm. she's kind of like you know it's about community and like helping each other but also <laughs> like maybe don't co-sign alone with your neighbor yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> this could end badly Mm -hmm. it's not like disgustingly capitalistic or anything like mm -hmm. personally i think silver spoon depicts that kind of thing like mm -hmm. i don't know what you would say like honestly i guess yeah i think it mm -hmm. balances yeah. the realities of both capitalism and both trying to achieve your dreams in kind of this harsh environment and harsh industry pretty well, it walks. It does also, walk that fine Fuji Sensei it. says capitalist yeah. pigs, but as a positive because she loves pigs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 
I think we should, yeah, we should definitely let Fuji-sensei have the final word on capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so I, I guess we are kind of like, kind of reaching our time here. Do we have any like stray thoughts we want to put out there before we kind of like wrap up soon or? So I, I have one short one, uh, which is I, I forgot to mention uh, another thing that like really rings true with uh, Silver Spoon uh, is the abandoned farm, uh, like the, the broken down one that it cuts back to several times. Oh, because that is something that uh, I have seen multiple times. Like it, it's hard to make it out in rural America. Uh, rural america a lot of times uh and there are like some of the places that we keep cows and put them out to pasture are these abandoned farm places like you still have the husks of these broken down buildings that either never like they never got demolished they're still like haphazardly set up uh so that's something that is like a major reality the other thing like we need to give Nishikawa his due. I love that guy. He's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, is, is Nishikawa your most relatable character? I guess he. <laughs> <laughs> Only in, like, by virtue of the amount of plastic he owns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the otaku farm boy. I, I may relate a little strongly to that. <laughs> huh. We couldn't end the podcast without putting that out there. Yeah, I don't know. I guess the best thing we can say to kind of end this off is that Silver Spoon is good, and there's very, very little to dislike about it, I think. Personally, I have very little criticism of Silver Spoon as a whole, other than, like, the kind of earlier not-so-great gags with Tamako in the beginning. But other than that, I pretty much liked it all the way through. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. like Silver Spoon is good. <laughs> it's a good, yeah. it's a good yeah manga. Extremely compelling themes and characters. Like Hotchkin is a character particular, and his journey really resonates with me. And again, I in general, I just appreciate the series' message and it depicting just all these characters just pulling together their strengths and working together, collaborating to, you know, move forward in their lives and achieve their dreams and, like, move beyond their comfort zones to see what's possible, what's beyond the mountains, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I really love that metaphor mm-hmm. with Komaba in particular. I thought that was very poignant. So, so Silver Spoon is just filled with a lot of, like, really poignant moments like that that I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I guess... um I think we might have covered this list on the show before, but we, at some point, we talked about, like, an online list of, like, the 10 best, like, Shonen Sunday series in particular, and, like, Silver Spoon was, like, number four, and I think that spot is, like, really well-deserved, like, I mean, personally, I, I haven't read, like, a lot of Shonen Sunday stuff, I need to fix that, but, like, I think it's, I think it's safe to say that, like, out of everything from that magazine, this is definitely, like, one of their best series. Sure. I mean, I would agree. This is one of my favorite manga. And in general, I think if you are looking for... If you're interested in learning more about the farming world, but also if in general, if you just want a slice-of-life story with very strong coming-of-age themes... And good and characters. ...about characters growing into their own, 
I think that this is one of the strongest uh, series out there for you to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it has such a unique angle, too, just because, I mean, most people, <laughs> <laughs> excluding one of us on this podcast, don't know a lot about, like, farming. And so it comes at it in, in such an unexpected way. And I feel like that makes a lot of the the like coming of age story that could feel like tired in another mangaka's hand feel yeah. like really different and fresh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the questions it tackles in terms of both moral, ethical, and even just personal dilemmas, I think is pretty stimulating, especially for younger readers. I think another great message of the series is that because Hachikin comes from a different background as the rest of the kids, he encourages them to think about things in a different way that they hadn't before, that they kind of just accepted, including like the ethics of eating meat. And I think a lot of the ideas that Arakawa brings to the table here are also very stimulating and will make you think about the way that we, you know, approach uh, food and our relationship with food and forming in a different light. Like It gets uh, some really good food for thought, <laughs> I will say. <laughs> I mean, pretty much, yeah. Like, especially if you are, like... If you're a city boy like Hachikin and you don't know, like, <laughs> uh, for lack of a better phrase, how the sausage is made, this is definitely the kind of series for you. You get to literally see how the sausage is made. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, I, I was talking about that list earlier. I'm pretty sure, just a fun fact, I think for a while this was shown in Sunday's, like, best-selling series, like, more than Conan, even. Yeah, oh, wow. even though it only released a couple volumes a year, like it was uh, an insanely successful and popular work. Mm-hmm. I feel like when she has like a maybe it's just in like the little asides in between chapters, like with that like the girl who's the all of you my readers, um, but she, I think she mentions a few times in little asides or like omake chapters that like oh lots of. Lots of you have like read this series and decided to go to farm school, and I yeah. was like, "Really?" <laughs> like... <laughs> That's the power of a best-selling manga. I like really how is, she right? included a note in the manga itself. There's a plot point of the farming school yeah. becoming more competitive because a movie set at <laughs> the university yeah, was like, like like obviously in reference to the Silver Spoon <laughs> live-action movie, encouraging the same trend of people getting interested in farming <laughs> schools and riding horses and stuff. And I was like, look what you've done! <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, I feel like it just goes to show like how good it is. That's like literally people read this manga and are like, I should be a farmer. <laughs> and look, it's it's just like with Slam Dunk, uh, you know, encouraging kids to play basketball and Haikyuu encouraging kids to play volleyball. Silver Spoon encourages people to become farmers, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, Silver Spoon I good. I, I don't I don't know what else it. to say. Mm-hmm. Like, if you haven't read this yet, please, please do. Like, I think. I think after, like, finally finishing it, like, I don't know, if, if we wanted to, like, for the sake of, I don't know what you would call it, like, if, if if I were to, like, give it a score, like, I would say this is, like, an easy, like, 7 out of 10, maybe closer to 8 out of 10. That's low. Really? 7 out of 10? <laughs> you think so? This is a, I mean, for That's me, personally, story. this is a 10 out of 10, because I think this is one of my favorite manga, so... I think I'm closer to eight because I have other manga that I've read that like I just like that much more. 
just personally speaking i mean it's gonna be relative for different people how much you resonate and uh relate yeah. to it but i think yeah uh, in general we'll we'd all encourage you to read it this is a really excellent manga with very few caveats mm-hmm. we'd have to give about content or messages yeah. in it yeah like it, despite me saying that like it's still a very good series like i would highly recommend this to anybody who's interested mm-hmm. in it so like you you may not love it if you're a vegetarian <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's probably but, true yeah no it's it's hard for me to say anything negative about it. it i would put it in like my top 10 favorite series but then again i'm also kind of biased uh just because it's something that very much does resonate heavily with me uh not just because of the you know shared background i have but with you know, the I associate it with that journey I got to take to Hokkaido and the time I spent there and that very good memories and associations with the series. You know, actually, really quickly, it, like two things I want to put out there that like I almost didn't want to bring up because like these are just very personal things for me that I like very small nitpicks I had about like, I guess not about the series itself, but, like, I guess how it was produced as far as, like, the lettering goes. I mean, in general, I think one of the things that, like, as much as I really loved reading the series, and some some series can't help this, but, like, you know, th- this is definitely, like, one of the more wordier series I've ever read, and sometimes, like, if you're mm-hmm. trying to binge through all of it in a in a short sitting, that kind of bogs me down a little bit. But again, that that's that's a personal thing on my end, and I guess as far as the lettering goes, the lettering I had no problem with, except for you know, and I don't know if this is like a yen press thing because I admittedly don't read a lot of yen press stuff. I have a very small issue with like the lettering of the sound effects, specifically with like how it's done in this series is like like the sound effects will be like romanized, and then you'll have like a translation in like in like parentheses, and I feel like that kind of makes things a little feel a little cluttered for me specifically i think that is a yen press thing because i've yeah. definitely noticed it in other of their series specifically yeah. for sound effects like if it's something that's supposed to be like a character like cheering or people yelling something like going raw or something in the background that's lettered out but if it is just like a sound happening yeah they leave the original kanji there and just add a, a little yeah. subtitle and I've noticed that that's like the English text they use for it is a little bit small uh, at times. So it's it's mm-hmm. sometimes yeah. kind of hard to miss what exactly is being represented because like sometimes you just don't register the kanji in the or the like the katakana in the background that um, they're using for yeah. the sound effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then like the teeny tiny translation that's like whoosh, like size <laughs> yeah. six font. There yeah. are pros and cons to re-lettering like sound effects, redoing them in English, and there's some there's some merit in keeping them the original way. But I think that there are definitely cases where not re-lettering them in English it kind of does take away from the impact or what you're supposed to get out of a, a moment in which the lettering is supposed to complement the art in a way, and you're supposed to recognize the words or the the sound being made. Yeah. I- yeah. I like the, I, I have no problem with them like leaving the kana. It's like what, what we were describing here where it's like, 
the kana and then like i just like flip to a random page with volume i have next to me and then it has next to it ga and then in parentheses buck for like the Mm. sound a horse makes when it's bucking and i'm like i don't really care what the original like you don't need to give me the romaji in that Mm. case yeah like this is totally just like a preference thing but like I prefer the way that, like, Viz does their sound effects and lettering for, like, their simulpubs in particular, where, like, they leave the actual sound effects alone, like, they don't, like, re-letter those, but, like, underneath, they'll actually, like, translate the sound effects in English. Well, it depends on the series. Like, a lot of series, Viz will, like, redraw the sound effects in English. Yeah. That, that, that's that, that's what I mean, is, like, they don't redraw them, but, like, they'll they'll kind of, like, subtitle I'm saying if you're going to subtitle them, I would rather you pick either you romanize them or you translate them. That's mm-hmm. just me, though. It's a very small nitpick in an otherwise, like, I think very well-lettered series, like a well-lettered release. <laughs> I actually yeah. totally agree with you on this. It's, like, very cluttering. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm glad somebody knows where I'm coming from. Yeah, <laughs> yes. No, I totally get it. <laughs> yeah. Like it's so it's so minor. It's like not like don't read the series. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, like like, like I said, <laughs> but... I, I feel bad even bringing it up because it is such a minor thing. But every once in a while, I'm just like I feel like there's too much. Yeah, like I just don't <laughs> need this written like literally three ways on the page. Yeah, yeah. But again, that being said, like again, go read the series. We recommend it. It's good. I don't know how else we could say. It, you know. Yeah. And kudos, honestly, to Abigail Blackman for lettering, particularly when Arakawa has these panels where there's, like, text cut off because it's just a bunch of people, like, word vomiting <laughs> in a balloon. Like, I know. I appreciate God bless a translator that. for, like, yeah. looking up all this, like, technical agricultural <laughs> vocabulary. Yeah, having to figure out what was originally being said when... In- what was originally music yeah. was being cut off. Because there are some bubbles that have, like, some super dense information that they're trying to deliver that you're not even supposed mm. to like really fully read but that you know it's still important to translate uh so mm-hmm. but yeah i think we could probably end it there as far as our discussion goes well now hold on colton we got one question to answer oh <gasps> what yes oh. we got a question from our friend Wensleydale who asks imagine scar and bradley moving to a farm what <laughs> wacky hijinks would it sue <laughs> So I think that rather than send off the animals to a butcher, Bradley would just uh, decapitate them and full skin them, fillet them all himself, like in the barn or whatever. And uh, I guess Scar would just blow up all the remains, or instead of like cleaning up all the waste, he would just blow them all up. He just let them all explode, I can and that, that takes yeah. care of that. <laughs> I think Scar would actually be a very dedicated farmer. <laughs> He's a very diligent and hardworking person, I feel, so he would get after it. Yeah, honestly, him and Hotchkin's dad, now that I think about it, they have kind of the same kind of stern face. I think Hotchkin's dad is a little more scary, but the, the eyes, the shape of their face, expression, both very dour individuals. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely read a short comic about that. Buggy, do you have any interpretations? It has been too or... long since I've read Full Metal Alchemist to comment <laughs> on this. I would only embarrass myself and make myself look bad. We clearly need to, like, reread yeah. Full Metal Alchemist at some point and cover it on the show or something. I'm definitely going to do a reread once I have, like, all those hardcovers. Ugh, I'm buying them, but they're, like, emptying my wallet <laughs> bit by bit. <laughs> 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 
They're so expensive. They're so beautiful. They're so good. Was that our only question? Yes. But thank you, Wednesday, for your question. That was a a fun one. That's a fun thing to imagine. All right. Now we could say thank you to our guests (laughs) uh, for coming on. (laughs) Thank you, guys. It has been such a pleasure to be here. Talking about good manga. In the Kage honor, you could even say. <laughs> now that's yep. a must to bet on. But no, seriously, uh, this, this series means so much to me. I'm so glad I could come on and talk about it with you all. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you so much for the invitation. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, no problem. Hopefully we can have you guys back on for something else in the future. But until then... I guess, um, Buggy, if you want to go ahead and uh, plug your stuff first, where can the good people find uh, you? I am on Twitter at TheLadybugMan. That is D-A Ladybugman. And uh, you can find sort of all my uh, blog and podcast work that I do at TheLadybug.Productions. All right. Yeah. Please follow Buggy and listen to his stuff. I, I personally really enjoy a lot of the podcasts yeah, that he produces. I do a so. lot of... Uh, really disparate sort of stuff i dabble in everything here and there like i write a lot about anime stuff so like on my blog you'll find you know two different articles about silver spoon but the most recent thing i wrote was like an analysis of the metagame of survivor so there's a little something for everyone yeah, uh, but <laughs> yeah i i run multiple podcasts I'm i'm working on getting some more of them out uh right now but yeah check those out i guess <laughs> See if there's anything that interests you there. <laughs> yeah, please do. Nice. And then, uh, Kelly, if you want to talk about some oh, of your stuff. Yeah, I don't really have anything to plug except for my like hot takes on Twitter. <laughs> 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 you guys can find me there at Kelly Cute with a Q-U-T-E. You can find some of my writing about manga on the defunct Barnes & Noble sci-fi and fantasy blog, and also my very dead podcast, <laughs> One Panel Later. Yeah, you guys, my co-host got a girlfriend, and then she didn't want to hang out with me anymore. <laughs> oh, but it's a great archive to go back and But it is, visit. yeah. But please feel free to go visit it, and I would appreciate it. And thank you guys so much for listening. Yeah, no, I mean, that that was pretty much, like, the big reason we wanted to have you on in the first place was because we both really enjoyed that podcast, so. Well, thank you, guys. Oh, boy. Well, I guess uh, with all that out of the way, I guess we can, uh, we can go ahead and end the show, Lum. That's right. I think the sun is setting, and I think it's time to turn in for a day after a long day's work of podcasting and had some good milk to cool off. I'm gonna have myself a hot dog after this. Sounds delicious. again to Buggy and Kelly for bringing the bacon we needed to talk about this delicious pizza of a podcast. Make sure to follow their work and listen to their pods as well for more meaty manga musings.
But don't count your chickens just yet, because even though we probably ducked the horse's leg off on Silver Spoon, we've still got some community shoutouts to share related to Hiroru Arakawa's other breadwinner, Full Metal Alchemist. There are a lot of great FMA podcasts out there I want to recommend for folks whose interest in revisiting Arakawa's signature work has been rekindled by our discussion of her follow-up. First, I've got some one-off podcast episodes to recommend to FMA newbies who just want to learn more about the series and an analytical but spoiler-free discussion of its merits. But Wido did a great primer on the history of FMA as a franchise and why it still matters in today's pop culture zeitgeist, addressing Arakawa's storytelling strengths, her iconic female characters, and the compelling themes of the series. It's a great look back at the series for most who share a lot of love and admiration for it. On the flip, Manga Explaining's episode is less reverent, as it's also had all different levels of familiarity and appreciation for it, which made for a great conversation about the comic's merits and appeal for an adult reader and how well it fares in the context of the battle shonen genre and when compared against other shonen series. Some notable moments in the conversation include Chip's analysis of Arakawa's art and some of her weaker skills, like her coloring and action, which is an interesting kick to hear from a veteran comics creator. There's also a great analysis of how well the comic handles its more mature themes of political commentary, and why the first one's content doesn't put the series' best foot forward in betraying those more ambitious ideas. It's a really balanced, critical conversation that I think will be well appreciated even if you are a diehard fan of the series. Moving on to podcasts dedicated to exclusively covering the series, I'll once again recommend Equivalent Exchange, where hosts Ellen, Kayla, and Kasim discuss the manga two or so chapters at a time. Their recaps and analysis of the series is excellent, and they do a great Jaw picking apart the series' themes and pinpointing where and when certain ideas gestate and how they're explored further. I'd really recommend listening to their recent mid-series special, a nearly five-hour-long podcast, in which they recap the first half of the series in about two hours, with sport of fun banter about how the story progresses, and then discussing the series' most prevalent themes and character arcs in the first half, as well as some fun listener Q&As, which include Fruits Basket FMA crossover ideas, other series that are satisfying as FMA, and so much more. I'm a big fan of Ellen and Kayla's podcast, and highly encourage you to check out their mid-series special for a good taste of their podcasting work. Another great podcast exploring the FMA manga chapter by chapter is the Law of Equivalent Exchange, Hosted by Wetter and Comics podcaster Tim, best known for the Deconstructing Comics podcast, and his buddy and newbie to the series Patrick. Their podcast is relatively new, but they do a great job dissecting the story, themes, and character arcs and how they're seeded early on, and how well Arakawa balances comedy with serious moments and topics, and noting her influences, including discussing the history of alchemy in the first episode and how Arakawa's depiction of alchemy differs from it. And a particularly great episode of theirs is one in which they bring on an expert in graphic medicine to discuss how well the series touches upon topics of health and wellness. They have a really smart, thoughtful, 
conversations on FMA from a seasoned analytical perspective, and they are a great listen for even more enlightening conversations on the series. And finally, for a podcast more focused on the anime and how that is written, I recommend listening to FMA Analysts. They're a podcast hosted by street TV writers who bring on guests from all corners of the entertainment industry, including anime sphere folks like Steve Yurko, Mutter's Basement, and the Spirit Hunters, to name a few. Their show is really interesting because they dissect how each episode is written and constructed from a TV writer's perspective, which makes for some really interesting takes that are different from how other people who, you know, just take the way anime adaptations are written for granted would interpret the way the show is written. It's really interesting to get a TV writer's perspective on how the show is structured and written. And they just also have a ton of fun, funny segments and bantering too, especially their panda talk running gag where they track Michelle's amusingly irrational hatred of May's pet panda, Xiaomi. It's a really fun, funny show, and you may even be seeing us on an episode of theirs in the future, so definitely stay tuned for that. But that's all for my alchemy of recommendations. And now I think it's time to put this podcast out the pasture and bring it all home. Once again, thank y'all for listening to our Silver Spoon Retrospective. It was a lot of fun. Made us happy as a pig in mud. And we are definitely going to look forward to more conversations with our good friends, Buggy and Kelly, as well as potentially more conversations on Hormone Arakawa's works in the future. But yeah, I mean, you've listened to what we've got to say about Silverstone. Hopefully you go out and read it. And, I mean, not to beat a dead horse, we love the series. So let's <laughs> just go right into our wrap-up as the sun is setting. Uh, yeah. All good things must come to an end. And we eventually have to end our conversation and podcast on Silverspoon. It was fun while it lasted. But uh, you guys still have a lot to look forward to as far as the podcast goes. Uh, so far, the plan is that hopefully next episode will be another news catch-up episode, but we'll also be talking about uh, the two newest series from uh, from Shonen Jump that are going to be available soon, uh, that being Blue Box and uh, Amino Furu. And so, yeah, I think that's going to be a fun episode. I can't wait to uh, read and talk about those. Mm-hmm. Heard it right from the horse's mouth. That's the plan for the next episode, so don't look a good horse in the mouth. <laughs> uh, I'm enjoying those. So, uh, yeah, I guess we're about ready to end the podcast here. Lum, where can the good people find you? You can find me at Lum Ramayasha on Twitter, at Lum Ramayasha, and as Lum Ramayasha writing places like Animation Revelation Analyst, where there's a Lum Ramayasha, that's where you can find me. You can also read my reviews on autoshcomma.com. Got a lot of views, or rather books coming in, a lot of reviews going out. So look forward to more on there, and you can check out my Silver Spoon reviews on there as well. I wrote them for the last five volumes of series. I'll be check those out if you want to hear even more of my like comprehensive thoughts on the theme, what I love about the theme and characters. But yeah, check out our reviews got on out there. You can also check out the other podcasts I do, Monday the Movies, where we focus on anime movies, as well as Love Squad, the Yurisigatsu focused podcast I do with my girlfriend Andrew A.C. Yushimura, where we cover the wonderful wacky world of Boomerang Shizuriatsa. We've been going through the manga, and now that we've 
just about caught up with recent releases, we're finally going to be tackling the movies now that they're readily available on Crunchyroll, and I'm very excited for that, so definitely look forward to more on there as it comes out on its monthly schedule at the end of every month, pretty generally. And if you like the art that I make for this show and the art I make in general, you can check all that out on my Instagram, at SidArtWorks. All right. And as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a few other podcasts on the site here uh, that you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. I have a page dedicated with links to whatever podcasts I'm doing currently, even podcasts I don't do anymore. But basically, it's as comprehensive as it is at the moment. I'm always like, adding links to like other like guest spots and stuff still kind of working on that but uh as far as like all my uh main podcasts go that i'm doing currently you can always find uh links to those again at coltoncorner.wordpress.com that's where you could find a lot of my podcasts but as for manga mavericks you can listen to every episode of the manga mavericks podcast on all-comic.coms where we post every episode first unless you were a patron of ours at patreon.com slash manga mavericks where at the $2 tier in particular, you know, if you enjoyed our Silver Spoon discussion, you could have listened to this a whole month ahead of time. That's right. At the $2 tier, that's basically where we post early editions of the podcast, basically depending on when we have them edited. If we happen to have a podcast edited before we're meant to put it up on our main feed, that's basically where it will go first. You have the chance to listen to this, uh, at least some of our podcasts before before most of our listeners do. Uh, and that's what you can expect at the $2 tier. But at the $5 tier, if you're looking for some, some, some newer content, you know, that's basically where we post, you know, a new bonus podcast at the end of every month, as well as our backlog of different bonus podcasts that we've been uploading over the past uh, year or two at this point of our Patreon. Uh, we have about 20 plus hours of of exclusive content on there for you guys to listen to. Currently, we are even doing a uh, mini-series known as the Manga Mavericks Book Club, where we are covering Masami Kuramata's Saint Seiya manga in particular. Right now, uh, my good friend Doctor from the Ask Backwards Anime Podcasting Network and I are going through that series for the first time, two volumes at a time. It's our first time reading that series. It's been quite the wild ride. You can listen to the latest episode of that right now at patreon.com slash manga mavericks at the $5 tier. And yeah, I mean, you know, basically, if you sign up for our Patreon, it's really the best way for you guys to support us and everything we do here. It really helps keep the lights on as well. And yeah, I mean, just in general, we, we just really appreciate your patronage and support. If you sign up for any tier, you will get a shout out on the show and our undying respect and gratitude. So yeah. Again, patreon.com slash manga mavericks. But as for everything else, you can follow us on uh, facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow manga mavericks in particular, you want to follow us on twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on tumblr at manga mavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks, uh, where we basically upload different excerpts of the podcast as well as some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, that's at youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Email us anything at manga mavericks at gmail.com. Uh, what are your thoughts on Silver Spoon and why it's one of the greatest manga of all time? You know, uh, what what do you think about, uh, I don't know, manga in general? 
What do you want to hear us talk about on the show? What are you reading right now in particular? You know, email us anything about manga or the podcast or just whatever. We love getting emails and we will read them on the show. Again, that's at mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or basically wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on so many different platforms. But especially on Apple Podcasts, it really helps the visibility of our show if you leave us a rating and a review. And just in general, we just appreciate it. You know, we appreciate any feedback we get. We really take that seriously as, uh, you know, we try to use whatever feedback we get on the show to try to make the show that much better. And so, yeah, that's really going to be about it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. This has been episode 156 of the Manga Mavericks podcast on all-comic.com. And we will see you guys next time for episode 157. Bye, guys. Sayonara! Sayonara!